the November meeting of the Napa Valley College Board, Board of Trustees is now called to order at uh, 4.36 p.m. on uh, February, I mean, November 12th, 2015. Uh, roll call. Gabriel Sanchez. Here. Rafael Rios. Here. Marianne Mancuso. Present. Kyle Iverson. Here. Joanne Busenbark. Here. Amy Watt. Excuse me, Martinson? Here. Michael Baldini? Here. Dan DeGardi? Here. Public comment on closed session items. I don't see anyone here wishing to speak. And this is uh, for the other public comment. So we will go into closed session. We are now returned to open session. Uh, report from Closed session, we've hired two new people, uh, Gerald Dunlap, Academic Administrator, Associate Dean of Physical Education and Athletics, and Elizabeth Duquet, I think that's how you pronounce it, Office Assistant One of the Office of Instruction. So now we'll continue on with the Pledge of Allegiance. the flag of the United States of America, and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And just to note the changes, uh, item 9.1, minutes of October 8th, is deferred until December. And 10.3, the lease agreement up Valley Vineyard, the final lease is not month-to-month month, but one year. Item 11.2, the annual audit for fiscal years deferred to December. And that is because when we met today, they hadn't gotten their audit report from CalPERS. And we can't do our audit report till we get their audit report. It was supposed to be in by today, but it wasn't. So as a consequence... It'll come up next month for approval. But that will give everybody a month to read it ahead of time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, 5.0, public comment. At this time, the board will devote a total of up to 15 minutes for comments to the Board of Trustees regarding any subject not appearing as an agenda item for this meeting but over which the board has jurisdiction. The public may ask the board to place an item, on, item related to the business of the district on future board agenda. No action or discussion will occur at this time on such items. Individuals will be limited to a three-minute presentation. At this time, the board chair will pull. I, w I thought, excuse me, I don't think you adopted the agenda. You're right. Move to approve the agenda. Second. All in favor say aye. Aye. <clears throat> So caught up in the Pledge of Allegiance, I just <laughs> overwhelmed. <laughs> okay, public comment. First, we have uh, Skipper Sochi. Is that how you pronounce Sochi? Hello. Um, my name is Skipper Skiak. It's hard to pronounce, so it's okay. <laughs> it's no worries. Excuse me, Carol Lee, um, could you lower that? I can't even see her. Thank you. Oh, what do you know? <laughs> um, I'm 
for the last five and a half years, been the costume shop manager and designed some of the costumes in the pack, for the PAC and the theater arts department. I'm here to ha today on behalf of many of the full-time and part-time faculty and the staff in the building um, and the division. Um, we realize there are needs all over the campus and we by no means assume that our needs are more important than anyone else's. Um, however, we do know that we and the productions and concerts produced in the building present a very public face um, to the community on behalf of the college. The plays and concerts produced in the PAC are a critical part of the students' education in the arts, required by the curriculum and, a vital, and vital to our transferring students. These performances must continue their high standards for students to be competitive when they apply to universities. The un unfortunately, the PAC building is present presently severely crippled by a lack of consistent staffing. We appreciate the pending approval of the technical director position and hope this position can be filled as soon as possible as this is essential for, for the upcoming semester as well as the overall use of the PAC building itself. We also appreciate the hire, uh, recent hire of the box office manager, a position that is a vital connection to the public. There is, however, an urgent need for a public relations person, a production manager, and at least a part-time costume shop manager. That doesn't necessarily have to be me. <laughs> um, without these positions, the building is inefficient, not welcoming to students and the public, and most important, potentially dangerous to students and volunteers. We ask you to please consider hiring the above positions in order to protect the investment made by the college and the community in a very impressive building with very talented faculty and students. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Is there anyone else wishing to speak under public comment? <laughs> Seeing no one, public comment is closed. <clears throat> Constituent groups, Academic Senate, Amanda Badgett. Thank you. Good evening, board. Um, I wanted to just uh, take the opportunity this evening to uh, report out uh, from the fall plenary session that I had, that I uh, attended last week down in Irvine. And this would be for the academic state uh, senate. And, um, and I'm just going to touch on a few highlights and share with you first and foremost um, what a pleasure it is to get to attend such a gathering and get to connect with colleagues across the state, specifically colleagues who, like myself, have assumed a leadership position in the last couple of months and have a chance to both commiserate <laughs> and support one another, but also take the opportunity to along uh, with these newcomers to meet and, and reconnect in some cases with um, 
faculty colleagues who are in leadership at the state level who understand um, in many ways the, the complexity of, of being in this kind of a job where you are both um, often the mouthpiece of the faculty, but you are also the interface with administration, with the board, and so forth. So that was a great, great time. So I just want to touch on a couple of things. Certainly one of the most important and uh, uh, things to come out of, resolutions to come out of the gathering was an approval of a report that the Chancellor's Office Task Force on Accreditation had published. And this report uh, very much called into question some of the practices by the ACCJC and really established a set of standards that they would like to see. And, and I will just say this task force was comprised of CIOs, CBOs, uh, the Academic Senate was represented, as was the Faculty Association. And what was called for was, um, so a broad, broad swath of support. Um, what was called for were standards that focused on improvement over compliance, excuse me, consistency and collegiality with member colleges, clear expectations on the part of an accrediting body, transparency, alignment with similar agencies and congruence with similar agencies across the country, proper training of commissioners and visiting teams, collaboration with all constituency groups on college campuses, and also a respect for the roles and responsibilities of such groups, and finally, opportunity for campuses and colleges to give feedback to the accrediting agency based on their performance. So this was um, approved by acclamation, and there was a much discussion, both setting the sort of the history of previous task forces and the response on the part of the ACCJC leading up to this most recent task force. Uh, moving on to budget, it was everybody was quite cheery. <laughs> Uh, there's lots of money that it seems is making its way. Uh, first, there has been distributed uh, uh, over 62 million this year f uh, among colleges for the hiring of full-time faculty, and they are projecting a possible additional 80 million for next year. This is, of course, uh, to be to be distributed according to schools that are falling below their FON, their faculty obligation number, and then those over um, make the choice of how they want to uh, use those funds. In any case, there was lots of talk of hires, and in connection with that, um, with colleges, some of which are hiring upwards of 75 faculty, those would be our colleagues to the south primarily, um, a real interest in faculty diversity, and I would say in addition to a lot of energy around this task force on accreditation, there was lots and lots of workshops and general sessions on moving towards a faculty that better reflects the students that that faculty teaches and maybe thinking about better recruitment, better um, hiring processes and better retention of faculty, diverse faculty. 
And finally, uh, there was lots of talk of the passage of AB 288, which talks, uh, which addresses dual enrollment. We were talking about um, kind of partnerships and pathways with our, for example, community colleges with high schools. And in the past, this partnership has been mostly targeting um, high success, you know, success students. Uh, what would you say? High, high performing. Thank you colleague. In any case, what AB 288 is providing is shifting that focus, not instead of, but in addition to high-performing students, students who could use the remedial help in high school to get them to college-level work. There's been, um, there were a number of breakout sessions on this and how faculty should be working with administration to develop those pathways. So that was, I thought, a very very good sign. And with that, I will close for now. Thank you. Thank you. 6.2, Administrative Confidential, Ken Arnold. Good evening. Uh, just a couple of quick things. Uh, one is uh, starting in January, we are going to, with the uh, in conjunction with all the constituent groups, run a leadership development class again. Um, it'll be running January through May. It's usually on uh, Fridays. Sometimes it'll be a three-hour session, sometimes some one-and-a-half-hour sessions. We're going to talk about leadership, communications, uh, decision-making, do some case studies, and we'll uh, run that for the uh, year two. So this is our second go-around on the leadership development class. Another uh, item that really isn't so much related to administrative confidential, but Oscar and I couldn't quite figure out where to put it, um, is we have uh, on November 5th, we had uh, 20 people who were counselors and students trained in how to deliver a class which is on relationship violence, which is part of the, uh, will fit nicely into our requirements for Cleary and, and the sexual violence elimination part of it, the SAVE Act. It was really gratifying to see all the students in there. It was, it was an exciting program. It is a tough uh, subject, but to see the people tackle that, um, it really it will be a nice asset to the college, and uh, we're going to be rolling that out. Uh, we're looking for you know some venues, but that's going to become part of um, counseling life sciences classes and then offering it through various other venues. But it was really gratifying, again, I see, to, uh, to have ASNBC jump in on that and so that the people who we're talking to who are subject to relationship violence are going to be having that discussion and talking to people who are the same age and themselves going through or, you know, in that, in that same area there. And that's all I've got. I can just want to ask, do you have anything quick to report on your, your trip to Umpqua? There's the an actual thing. item on there. I'm going to do a oh, quick okay. little, I'm going to do a presentation in just a few minutes. Great. Thank you. Right. 6.3, Associated Students, Ilani Tom. You're still not Ilani Tom, are you? <laughs> Hello. My name is Oscar Arias, and I'm representing Associated Students of Napa Valley College. Um, we have a not-too-bad uh, report here in terms of length, so let's get started. Students attended uh, Seesaw, uh, CCCSAA, uh, from October 16th to 18th. Uh, the Halloween event on October 29th was a success, and it was co-sponsored by both the ASNBC and classified staff. 
Um, this weekend is the SSCCC Constitutional Convention in Sacramento, California, which Brandon and Ben will be attending. A student Activity Center update. Uh, Kruger International will be delivering Phase 2 of the furniture to the Student Activity Center on January 6, 2016. Child Development Center Angels and Salvation Army Angel Tree Charity Drive will be starting a week and a half earlier than previous years. The CDC Angel and SA Angel Tree Drive will begin on November 18, 2015. The tree and instructions on how to donate to a child will be on the LLRC Library Entrance Hall. The event will run from November 18th until December 16th. ASMVC participated in the Upper Valley Campus graduation ceremony, which was wonderful, and it was really, really, really nice. Um, also, um, as Ken mentioned, we also participated in the sexual assault training uh, titled Escalation, which was really great, and I feel we can really push on to students to be able to have workshops in the future. Um, also... This is uh, at the very end, which is at December 1st, we will begin decoration of the ASMVC office. Thank you. Thank you. Classified Association report, Jan Chart, president. I don't see her, so I guess there's no report. Classified Senate, Christopher Farmer. Hello, everybody. Um, man, where did October go, huh? It's gone already. Um, <clears throat> well, let's start off on the positive note. Of course, this is all positive. So, <laughs> uh, We have a new employee of the month, Solange Kata, from the Administrative Services. She's the secretary. This It's right over here in the corner. So if you've ever had the pleasure of walking the business office, you've met this bright, glowing smile as you walk in the door. That is Solange, and I think that's pretty much how everybody knows her. Although I have a separate story, because the day I tried to sneak in as she was leaving and get an impromptu meeting with her boss, and she walked from the front of the lobby and headed me off, asking me what I wanted with her boss before she would let me go in the office. So she has a little bit of a bulldog in her, too, so don't let the smile fool you. <clears throat> She's been uh, working here since 2001. I sent out an email to everyone. I said 2004. She sent me an immediate email back correcting me. I told her, well, what's three years? She seemed to care. But... Um, She's been here for a long time. She's been an integral part of this college. She started here as a student, so we're really proud of her this month. Um, we had a Halloween carnival. It was fantastic. I think it was the best one we've had since I've been here. So going on four years, um, we, we estimated more than 250 people there. We had multiple clubs. We had the Discovery Club with a robotic corpse thing. Yeah, we had stuff jumping out. We had someone playing weird music in the corner with a skeleton face. We had costume. We had all kinds of stuff, balloons, candy everywhere. I can't take any credit for it. Um, really, we have uh, Mira Donnelly in my office did so much work. She, she deserves a lot of appreciation from people. And then the students, they really pulled it together this year. I don't know her last name, but Gracie and ASNVC really rallied the troops, got all the clubs involved. It was a great event. And then finally, while all you guys were slacking it on that day, Trustee Iverson made the tough decision of which was the best decorated pumpkin. So, you know, way to set the example, Kyle. We really appreciate you being there. Um, in terms of Senate business, we've uh, tried to change up how we're handling our agendas a little bit and setting aside more time for major presentations on what's going on on campus. 
Uh, most recently, we had a presentation from a tech committee representative on virtual desktop technology, the VDI. I don't know if you guys have been briefed on it yet, but uh, I won't spoil that surprise, but it's, it's, it's a big deal for us, and uh, Classified Center are fully behind it. We're really excited to see some new technology potentially hitting campus. And then our next presentation is going to be on the educational master plan by me. So I can't wait. That's my report. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, Faculty Association report, Diana Chibodi. Okay, so first, Unfortunately, I had to miss the carnival. I was at a, actually Faye Smiley and I were at professional, not professional development. It was some really boring meeting we had to go to for these grants we coordinate. But we did look at the pictures in our hotel room while eating really bad room service food and we felt horrible we had missed the fun. So um, it is wonderful that um, Classified um, does a lot of community engagement on our campus. The other thing what um, Laura is passing out or Janine, what I passed around, is I won't repeat what Amanda said about the um, Chancellor's Office um, Task Force on Accreditation, but our state organization, CCA, our faculty association, and they have asked us all to sign on, which we did today in our meeting. So you're getting a copy of a letter that we are sending to Chancellor Harris and a resolution that was passed by our uh, unanimously supported by our faculty association today um, regarding um, the state's connection to ACCJC. And I will tell you that one of the things that um, Vice Chancellor um, Walker said to us in another meeting that I was at was that um, as faculty, we should encourage everyone to sign on, but faculty have, have an obligation and we are somewhat protected by tenure in our ability to sign on to less than fabulous <laughs> resolutions and letters. In addition, when I queried our state president for CCA about um, doing this, and I asked her about potential retaliation from ACCJC, which some colleges believe that they have experienced, um, one of the things that she said to me was that, um, by not standing up, we're actually allowing the tyranny to continue. So I came back to my um, faculty association and today we have signed on to this. And I would like to encourage the other groups on campus to also do similar. I have boilerplate language if you'd like me to send it to you. Um, and send a letter to the chancellor and also pass a resolution in supporting exploring different accrediting agencies for our community colleges. And let's see. Other than that, the business is kind of business as usual, still negotiating stuff with the district and still um, doing what we do as faculty. That's it. Well, thank you, and keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> President's report. Thank you. Um, not too much tonight. Uh, a, a couple things. Um, in in public uh, in public relations and outreach, we had a really nice meeting, and I'm not sure either Michael or maybe somebody from VWT, but um, our viticulture programs really made some great inroads. We're not only 
kind of reinvigorating that, but renewing it with some wonderful leadership. One of the good things is they've been working on this Whole Foods program for a bit. So Whole Foods is going to start with their store here in Napa and hopefully, if this pilot program works, go to all Northern Cal carrying um, Napa Valley College Estate wines. What you're seeing on the on the screen up here on the right-hand side is a big poster um, that would be in, will be in an end cap at um, at the um, store, and they're going to carry all of our SKUs, I guess, the full complement of wines, which is a very good thing. So that, that's exciting. They've been working on it a little bit. It um, it is a uh, a piece of a of a larger puzzle of a lot of things that are going on down there, but this one is. Um, um, captivating a little bit. I would draw your attention, too, that they've identified, this is a big deal, um, Napa Valley College VWT program is a beneficiary of 5% of their gross proceeds in the store for Wednesday, December 9th. That's a big, big number. Um, I had to call them back to make sure. Gross, right? You said gross, right? Not net. Um, and they said, they said yes. So um, we're excited about that. So this um, kind of shop and support event, so if you're doing your grocery shopping that day, you know, why not? And um, those, are, those are some kind of highlights. There's a lot of other kinds of things going on tonight, and I think the VPs have some reports as well. The, the rest of mine, it, there have been a lot of um, more community outreach, I think, in the last two months than I have seen in a long, long time. A lot of activity in and around the, the valley on, on so many levels. Uh, we are still endeavoring as a college, I think, to make the connection. So depending on who you talk to and where you go, either they've heard too much about the college or they've never heard enough about the college. Um, sometimes it's great stuff about the college and sometimes it's not great stuff about the college. The, the reality of that, though, is that Napa Valley College is absolutely part of the fabric of the, of the community. Um, it's very highly regarded. I, everywhere I go, um, I end up speaking... Um, you know, three or four times a week to some groups, and they're, they're very excited about where we are. So it's just a, it's kind of a heartening to, to see that. Um, that's really it for, for the president's report on this side, and I, I want to go to a couple other things. I'm going to skip just a little bit to uh, Lissa's out tonight, but um, there are a couple things that you, we may want to just um, note. The Napa General Store, again, VWT, on December 12th from 6 to 9 is doing their, um, their post-harvest networking event. It's kind of an annual event. And um, so please uh, mark your calendars for that. Bring somebody into that. Um, it's 15 bucks, I think. includes appetizers, wine tasting, Napa General Store. Jim Brandt is a great um, supporter of, of the college, and um, that would be an excellent thing to do. Um, the other side that I will just bring to your attention, and you can read um, her report, is there is a very robust communications and marketing campaign that's been um, um, very well received throughout the county. Literally on every kind of um, advertising communications platform possible, we have messages in, in the county. Um, and that's, um, um, I think, bring, bearing fruit. I think they all kind of tie together. So that's my report, and um, what I would like to do is to uh, have you go to Bill Hardy from the foundation. Then, uh, excuse me. Yes. I have a, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. I have a question. Do it. Mm -hmm. Does uh, our wine bottles have QR codes on them to take us to our website? I don't think so. That's a great idea. 
Yeah. Either one. Better. I just want to. Will there be a flyer about the shop and donate that we can circulate and yes. email out? Yes, um, we'll, we'll uh, send that out right away. They, we just kind of solidified on this, and it's done already and in this material, but we'll, I'll send it out to you. Other? Sorry. Yep. Okay. Uh, thank you, Dr. Kraft, uh, Mr. Chairman, members of the trustees. It's a couple of things to report from the foundation. First is that we have had, uh, in the last uh, three or four months, an ad hoc committee of winery people from around the valley with the purpose of greatly expanding and, and improving the winery, uh, the VWT program from, uh, from private money. And uh, that's getting started. The third meeting is next week, and hopefully that will, something will come of that. The main thrust of what I wanted to cover with you tonight is the relationship between this board and the Napa Valley College Foundation. Specifically, the College Foundation had a retreat last year and was trying to decide in the retreat what type of board we would be. Would we just be sort of stewarding and handling scholarship funds, or would we actually actively go out and try to raise money for the school? You know my bias. I mean, I... I'm retired. I'm just not that retired. I mean, I, I wanted to go out and, and raise money. And I think the purpose of the, of the Napa Valley College Foundation is principally to act as a community liaison with the community and to, and to support the, the college financially, I mean, the college directly. What happened to change all that was in 2012, specifically June 6th of 2012, uh, a, a letter was sent by a law firm in San Francisco to Armand Phillips when Armand was the temporary temporary or whatever, interim president. And the letter, the essence of the letter, which probably all of you are familiar with, is that there is a provision of the California Constitution which prohibits public entities such as the district from making contributions or gifts without consideration to, un, to non-public entities. And uh, using a really, what I thought was an incorrect interpretation of that law, uh, the decision was taken at that point that in order for the college to continue to provide support, because at that time the college was providing an executive director, an assistant executive director, and a secretary for the foundation, that after that the college could only do that if it was fully reimbursed from the foundation. Uh, the letter itself does not require that to happen. The letter, which I have in front of me, says that, you know, quotes the Constitution and says, that what a gift is, this is talking about the prohibition against gifts. A gift includes all appropriations of public money for which there is no authority or enforceable claim, uh, it, even if there is a moral obligation. So what we've been doing before that, before 2012, is we were functioning as if we had a contract, and the contract said that we will turn over, we from the foundation will turn over all the money that we make to the school, either in programs or in scholarships, and uh, in consideration for that, the, the school would provide that, that support. As a result of the, the interpretation of the, of the letter that I've just referred to, uh, that all stopped in 2012. Subsequently, it became more and more difficult to function as a board. We were fortunate to hire Lissa, uh, I think three or four years ago, whenever she was hired, and she has a peculiar set of skills that, that, is, that are very, very difficult. Trust me, I've, I've run a business for 30 years and, and hired 50 or 60 people, and, I've, and 
finding people like that who have that range of skills is extremely hard. She can, she can, she can talk to people. She can, she can uh, curry the favor of, of potential donors. She, can, she knows where, the, where everybody is. She's connected in the community. And she's smart. And those are all good qualities. Those are things that, that you need in this, in this job. Getting back to the, and, and so that kept everything sort of going on a patchwork basis up until now, and of course, Lissa is leaving as, as of January 5th, and we're faced with a, a, a sort of a crossroads as to where we go from here. That decision, do we just function as a caretaker or do we function as an active board, is, 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 was not actually taken by us. It was actually taken by this board when, with the MOU, with this uh, withdrawal of support. The effect of that was that we were unable, we did not have the time and the expertise to do what you, what you really have to do to raise money. And I, I didn't realize that myself because I was totally naive. I never raised money before except from juries. And, uh, and in order to do that, uh, you have to spend a lot of time, and it takes a lot of particular skills. Last year, as you recall, we, we got a, a gift of almost a million dollars from from a, a, a group of five gentlemen who were acting as trustees of a trust, and it took a tremendous amount of time and, 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 and sort of care and feeding. And it was a wonderful gift, and we were really a great appreciation for them. But I see no possible way that that kind of thing could be done without someone who had the time to do it. And uh, it, requires, it requires that. Now, getting back to the Phillips letter, the letter of June 6th, Consideration, as, 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 uh, as Mr. Rios knows, and those of you who didn't go to law school, I'm sure you, you still know, which is the consideration is when, when a contract is made and somebody gives something and then someone else expects it back. For example, I'll buy your car for $5,000. The $5,000 is the consideration for the car. Now, the consideration here for what we were getting for support is the money that we give to the school. Last year, directly to the school, not to scholarships, $213,732. In scholarships, another $223,775, and about $30,000 of which was paid directly to the school on, on account. The, uh, the value of this is, is the value of the scholarships. First of all, the, the money directly to the school is, is a pretty good deal because right now we are getting, in the Napa Valley College Foundation is getting a very small amount of consideration, which is you know, sort of a half, half a rent of a small office and some secretarial help, and, and theoretically 5% of, of uh, the executive director's or Alyssa's time, but she's, she's spending more time than that because you just need to. Uh, we have fiduciary responsibilities to, to dozens of, of endowment funds, and we have to make sure that those are kept up. The, uh, in, in short... I'm finding myself in the very uncomfortable position of having to make this Hobbs, what I consider a, a Hobson's choice, either do something uh, poorly in the way of fundraising or don't do it at all, neither one of which I find palatable. The, uh, right now, the, the current relationship between the, the district and the foundation is that we pay $40,000 in cash out of the foundation funds. In exchange, we receive what? what I've just described, uh, the, partial, the partial support. The district gets $213,775, or roughly that amount every year, and then the scholarship amounts in a, in a, in a comparable amount. So it's a good deal for, for the district at this point. 
It, and it isn't really a question of a deal. We're, not, we're on the same side of the fence. It's just a question of how can we function. So it's kind of up to the board uh, how we function. If we, if we get support, and, and what we need for support right now is about a half-time half executive director, I mean a real half-time executive director with skills, and, uh, and the, current, the current support that we're getting. And uh, uh, if we can get that and, we, and we're able to, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to put in the time. I mean, my time is, is, is free. And uh, so are other members of the board, but we're not, we can't do it. It's not responsible for us to do it, to go out and solicit donations if we don't have the support. Somebody to send out the acknowledgement letter, somebody to call, someone to say, how do you, this is how this is going to be set up. Let them know how the endowment is set up and so forth. I'll give you an example. Uh, last week I was playing golf with a, with a nice young man who I had not met before, but who, like me, had a Boston Red Sox hat on, so I figured he had to be a good guy. And... Uh, so he was, it turns out, is, owns a business in town and also has a, has a foundation. And we got to the end of the round. I was talking about how wonderful it is to be able to help the college and, and give uh, scholarships and, and, and help programs in the school. And, and the next day he called me and said, I'm going I'm to give you $10,000. So that was something I, it required me to do that. I also won $6 from him, and I didn't give that back. But, but, but the... Uh, that, that was money that, that required some time. It required some, some you know, persuasion, really. And, uh, but it also required Lissa to get in touch with them and, 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 to, you know, and to just to do what you need to do. People don't want to give you money if they're worried about how you're going to take care of it and how, and how it's going to be handled. So uh, the, uh, the essential question is, you know, are we going... How, what relationship is the board going to have with the foundation going forward? I have a suggestion, which is uh, we've, we've been following this modus operandi for years, which is that, as I said, we give you the money, you give us some support. We don't expect the kind of support we were getting from before. I understand what the budgetary constraints are. But we could, I'm willing to, in order to create an enforceable obligation, in the foundation, to make sure that the money goes to the school, rather because there's all this talk about it being independent. Well, you know, it's not like we're spending the money on, on uh, you know, supporting uh, uh, trips to Las Vegas or anything. I mean, the, uh, every dollar that isn't used to run, the, to run the shop goes directly to the school. So why not just make a contract saying that? And uh, I, I'm, I've, I haven't talked to my board. I have to talk to my board about that. But so that we can create a legal obligation so that the board can say, this board can say, uh, you have not complied with your duty to give the money to the, to the school. Therefore, we will, we will withdraw our support from your, the, the overhead. Uh, something like that could be, could be drafted. There are other possibilities. But this, is, this, this letter... Is, is a great example of, of why lawyers make a lot of money, because they're, they're coming up with ideas like this, which really are hyper-technical and impractical. In order to have a practical solution to it, we have to figure out a way to work together in, in a way that allows us to do what we want to do, which is to raise money for the school and to be, and to be out front and leading on bond issues and, and other public uh, outreach and, uh, but we can't do that with what we have for staff right now. And uh, 
You know, I, I wish it were not true that way, but I've, and I've learned that from experience. I did not know that a year and a half ago when I started as president of the board. I, I thought we could sort of wing it. Well, you can't wing it with other people's money. You have to be much more, much more cautious and, and much more careful, and you have to spend the time. And so we need the time. We need the expertise. A suggestion might be, as a way of sort of continuing the discussion, perhaps we could get a, a subcommittee of a couple of of you folks and, and, and myself and maybe Dr. Kraft, and uh, together try to figure out how we can go forward with this thing without, without uh, messing it all up. Because uh, I, you know, I feel passionately about the school and about helping the school and about doing what we can for the school. I've got a lot of board members who feel the same way. But they're not going to be you know, typing letters and, and doing that stuff. They're just not. I mean, it's not, not going to happen. Uh, so. Uh, I guess that's, I've said my piece. The, the, uh, uh, you know, I think we do something valuable for the school. I think there's plenty of consideration now without even having this contract. But if, if a contract will satisfy the obligations that, uh, that this law firm has come up with, that, that's fine. We can do that. We can create an enforceable obligation, which will take care of the legal issue involved. And then the only question is budgetary issue, and that's something that I, I don't know. So I'm not, I'm not complaining. I'm just offering alternatives. The alternative is that we can just continue to sort of be caretakers, or we can be actively involved in, in raising money, which is my distinct preference. Anybody have any questions? Yeah. I'm just wondering, um, have you considered um, yourselves hiring and paying for the halftime director out of the monies that previously you donated to the college? Um, do you know what I mean? I understand it would be like the two, you said you guys donated 213000 to the college last year. Uh, so what about, like most nonprofits, would they raise monies to, to pay for their director? Right. Um, it would mean less for the college, but at the same time, it would be clean. It would still have that clean separation. Um, so I guess I'm not seeing the difference between the, the college paying for you to have a halftime director versus you paying for it out of your own funds, and then the college obviously gets less. But again, you have that, that clean separation between a nonprofit and the college no I, I understand the question the problem the problem with it with it miss martinson is that you can't these are these are fiduciary funds we can't use them for purposes other than the school we can't use them to run our shop we we ch we get out of the endowment which is roughly eight million dollars at this point we get a one percent we charge a one percent fee which everybody knows when they when they when they hand over the endowment that that's going to happen uh and uh so we, we can't increase that retroactively. It, you know, it's just it would be probably illegal, but at least unadvisable. And uh, uh, so we're, we, 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 if the funds are like to – there are funds for the cooking school. There are funds for other, other parts of the school. And those are endowed funds, so they're, they, they're obligated to be paid for that. So no, we don't have that, that, that flexibility, unfortunately. So how – how do most nonprofits? Because most nonprofits, they raise the money, you know, to pay for their infrastructure, and then anything extra, they they donate or or whatever. So how? I guess I'm I'm not understanding. So these these two hundred thirteen thousand dollars have to go to the college. That's yeah. the way it's written. So there's no opportunity to raise any money to support the infrastructure of the nonprofit. Oh, we, well, we we do raise money. I mean, you know, we we charge. Uh, sort of dues for the board members, and we also have put on programs which we're planning to do again. But 
the, the difficulty is in order to put on a program, as you're probably aware, it requires staff. You know, you have to have somebody to, to arrange things, someone to do this and someone to do that. It's not something that happens by itself. And uh, you, can, or you can hire professional uh, people to put on programs professionally, but they charge a, a substantial vigorous to, to do that. So uh, it's... Uh, I'm wondering how most nonprofits pay for their no, I, employees. I'm not a, you're not, in the, you're not an expert. <laughs> yeah, so I'm just wondering, you know, maybe we could do some research, yeah. too. I'm I, just wondering how they usually do it. Any other business I've run, I've tried my best for it not to be a nonprofit. But the uh, – okay, so and, any other questions? Uh, anyway, I, this, I'm not, not put on as an action item, Mr. Chairman, but uh, uh, I, I would welcome an opportunity to, to sort of sit down and sort of, try to uh, hammer this out a little bit so that we can – we know where we are going forward, because you got a lot of you got a big asset here, and I think there's a lot of money in this valley. There's a lot of money available for giving. I mean, this this thing that happened when this guy was playing golf was just just blew me away. I mean, it just out of the blue, and and it's there, you know. And they were getting to the end of their fiscal year, and they needed to spend the money, and they said, okay, why not spend it on these guys? And uh, uh, it's it's there. It's just a question of whether we can we can uh, steward it properly. And uh, it just takes time, it takes expertise, and it takes, and it takes money. Thank You're you. You're absolutely right. We need to do what it takes to make it work. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Um, I, I would say, you know, based on this, I would, I'd be happy to chair that committee and work with Bill and um, any, any other folks that you may want to appoint to this. I think it would be a a great piece to kind of move forward. Okay, and uh, I guess when we get to committees, we can. You can do it then. You can do it now. You can do it in, any other time that you that okay, you. Well, then let's like. organize a uh, subcommittee called the Foundation slash NVC subcommittee. Okay. Ronald Kraft is chair. I'll volunteer to be on the committee. Any other volunteers on the board? I think Raphael, because of his legal background, would be a good person. Did, did I did I see his hand go up? Yeah, okay. I, <laughs> I thought your voice got higher and everything. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, and yeah. Kyle volunteered. So, Raphael, Kyle, and Dan? Is that yeah. what I'm hearing? That's enough for a start. Excellent. Good. I'll pull that together. Thank you so much, Bill. It's a standing committee, so we're not violating any Brown Act. Okay. Great. Oh, that's right. Ron's not a, there we go. Not a trustee. Yeah. Okay. No. Oh, and Bill Hardy, too. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. Vice President's, Vice, Vice President's report. Uh, Oscar, you want to go first? Okay, I'll go first. I have just one, one item I'd like to share. Uh, on Monday, I was part of a welcome uh, that was given to, uh, to a group of folks uh, of the school district, um, Amy was there, along with about 20 recruiters from, from colleges. Uh, the recruiters were from four-year schools, as well as colleges within California, as well as colleges uh, outside of California. And um, uh, and then the the following day, Tuesday, this event uh, this event first of all is one that's in collaboration with the school district, as well as with UC Davis. The idea is that UC Davis has been for the last couple couple, couple years and uh, doing a job that's been very successful in bringing this college going initiative effort here to to Napa County. And um, uh, last year, uh, Howard was was part of the group, um, and this year uh, we're we're on uh, we're on. We're on the same plan with them as well. On Tuesday, uh, as, as part of the Higher Education Day, uh, the recruiters, which included uh, four staff members from, from Napa College, were at three major schools, the Vintage High School, Napa High School, American uh, High School, 
and they saw uh, between those three schools close to 1,300 students. And again, uh, we had uh, people like Mark, Mark Martin, who's in a transfer center, uh, Eric Martinez, who's an adjunct, uh, adjunct uh, um, uh, as counselor. We also had um, other individuals who, who assisted with giving out information on FLA College. So once again, um, we're involved with all activities that pertain to outreach, and uh, hopefully, again, the, the, uh, the exposure to our college is, 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 is live and well. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Terry? Thank you. Um, I'll be actually really brief. I just wanted to say a couple things. One was, as um, Amanda was saying, she was at Plenary. Um, end of, last weekend of October, or last week of October, I was at the Chief Instructional Officer's uh, um, biannual meeting that was in, is held in San Diego in the fall. Um, many of the same topics that they were talking about at Senate were topics that the chief instructional officers were talking about. Um, the, the one that I wanted to just mention a little bit about was the, um, the dual or concurrent enrollment um, with passage of that new um, law. Uh, it really opens the door for us to do some really good things with concurrent enrollment, and um, I just wanted to let the board know that um, uh, we have a subcommittee of instruction council that's working on developing some packages. Um, faculty will be involved in that. It, it's very closely linked with our um, uh, career pathway grants uh, with AB 86 slash 104. Um, and so there's a lot of things that kind of um, a, a synergy that's happening and, and that concurrent enrollment will, um, our ability to expand what we do in concurrent enrollment and, and really kind of loosen the way that we do it will help considerably in our ability to interact with the high schools. And so we're looking forward to that. Um, the other things I wanted to mention, um, just kind of a shout out for our college, one of the other things that happened at the CIO conference was a presentation of the um, current uh, draft of the program and course approval handbook, which those of us in curriculum just refer to as the PACA. Um, this is the sixth edition of this book. It's a very important manual, basically, that helps CIOs and curriculum chairs in the curriculum approval process and submission to the state um, in regard to curriculum. Um, and part of why I wanted to shout that out is because one of the members of the subcommittee that is involved in rewriting the PACA is Eric Shearer, and Eric actually was part of the uh, people presenting it to the CIO. So Eric's actually on somewhat of a roadshow going around presenting uh, drafts of the PACA um, uh, to various constituency groups. Um, and then the last thing is, if you don't know, hopefully you know, the Napa Valley Film Festival is currently underway, and a number of films are being shown at our Performing Arts Center. So if, if you're not getting out to much of that, you should at least try to see some of those that are happening in the, in the Performing Arts Center. Um, and lastly, um, Rootstock uh, um, was, yes, was it, it was yesterday, right? Mike, it was today. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm having troubles keeping track of where we are in the week. Um, and and we, we were at Rootstock. Um, uh, a part of that was the presentation of the biodynamic class that we're going to talk a little bit about in the curriculum approval later today. Um, I have not yet been able to uh, hear from Michelle Mano. She was one of the people from the college manning our table um, of how much traffic we had and how that went. But um, we had a presence there today. So, Outstanding. Janine? Um, sure. I just wanted to um, introduce tonight uh, Ben Leung, 
who's here. He is our new director of instructional and institutional technology support. And Ben is a uh, Bay Area native who's joining us from Lone Star College in Texas. So we're glad to have him on board in the IT area. helping on our service side of the house. Um, Just a couple other things about IT. Um, Chris had mentioned VDI, virtual desktop technology. We have um, talked to the Senates, and uh, the Technology Committee has approved uh, the opportunity for us to put a um, uh, proof of concept together um, to ensure that VDI will work for us and work for the tools our faculty use in their classrooms and labs. Um, This project will essentially allow our faculty, staff, and students to access um, the specialty software they use as well as their own work that they save um, from anywhere on campus, including off campus, at home, etc. Right now, they're very place-bound in terms of where they can use their technology tools, uh, and so this will open that up uh, for them. It'll also help us provide more effective and efficient support for the labs by being able to push images out uh, much more seamlessly than we, we do currently. So we're looking forward to uh, hopefully implementing our phase one of that project uh, in the spring. We've also um, been sending around new standards, which the Academic Senate um, approved, and I'm hopeful the Classified Senate will approve soon, (laughs) um, that are for desktops uh, as well as for um, classroom, smart smart, uh, classroom technology. And so those uh, standards haven't been updated for some time, and so those will be in place um, uh, probably in the next week or two. Uh, and lastly, um, we are doing a major upgrade of our Datatel colleague ERP system. Uh, that's underway. Uh, we hope to have that complete and available for testing uh, mid-December and have that up and running uh, for the spring term as well. It hasn't been updated in over 10 years. Uh, and this update will allow us to um, do some critical um, additions for financial aid and, most importantly, for student educational plans. Um, So lots going on in uh, IT right now, and um, it's been a pleasure working with the IT staff this last few months uh, in the absence of a dean. Uh, Lastly, just a personal note, tonight is my last board meeting, so I just want to thank everyone for the opportunity to serve the college. And um, it's been it's been a wild ride, a little up, a little down, but hopefully I've been able to accomplish some things um, since I've been here. So thank you. Thank you, Janine. Uh, 9.0 information discussion items. 9.1 educational master plan. I'm sorry if you uh, so minutes? choose, you could approve the minutes of October 22nd. Yeah, I thought those were postponed. No, that was October 8th. I'll move approval of the 22nd, 8.2. Second. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, now we're going on to no. 9.1, educational master plan. Robin? I believe this is Robin. You can, there she, oh, there he was. I, you know what? I didn't see you, and I thought, That's because she moved. She was sitting <laughs> over on the other side for a while. Hi, Dr. Warnell. All right. Good evening. Uh, I'm here to provide some information about the educational master plan update that is underway this year, including a brief overview of the project, a status report, and a sample page containing data and analysis related to our effective service area. So as indicated in the project overview that was sent out with the agenda for this meeting, 
the Educational Master Plan, or EMP, update is part of MVC's regular integrated planning cycle. That cycle indicates that the EMP will be updated every three years. Similar to the 2013-2023 EMP, the EMP update will be used to guide planning efforts in the coming years, including laying the groundwork for the upcoming facilities master plan. Whereas the 2013 to 2023 EMP was quite lengthy and identified general themes or trends that are likely to impact the college, the EMP update will be smaller in scope. It will focus on local challenges and emergent trends that should be incorporated into our planning processes, and it is intended to yield more of a plan, that is, actionable information that can be folded into our decision-making processes. The Council of Presidents, consisting of constituent group leaders, serves as the EMP steering committee. The EMP project and data to be included in the update have been discussed at four steering committee meetings so far this semester. Uh, two as part of the regular Council of Presidents meetings, along with two special meetings focused solely on the EMP. As indicated in the project overview, data have been and will continue to be shared and discussed by the steering committee, the planning committee, and constituent groups. Uh, so those discussions are underway. The timeline that is included in the overview indicates that we expect a draft to be completed and recommended to the Board of Trustees in January. Oh, uh, Carolee's the driver right now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I'm having trouble multitasking tonight. Um, let's see. So it, indi it indicates that it will be recommended to the Board of Trustees in January. Uh, right now we are on track relative to the timeline. However, discussions at recent steering committee meetings suggest that we might need to provide more time for discussion to occur among additional groups outside of the steering committee, planning committee, and constituent groups. So as a result, the timeline might need to be adjusted as we proceed, and we'll keep you informed of that. The final page of the project overview identifies the data that will be included in the EMP update. Let's see here. Uh, so I'm going to share a sample page, uh, page from the section on the effective service area. Thank you, Carolee. So this sample page is intended to give you a sense of the look and feel of the EMP update and how the data and analysis will be presented. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time walking through what's on here. So the page that is projected here contains the participation rates and projected growth among the population of 15 to 34-year-olds in our effective service area, which spans Napa County as well as portions of Solano and Sonoma counties. The first part of the table, so I'm focusing on the left side, uh, identifies the zip codes within our effective service area. Their population as of 2014, and again, that's the population of 15 to 34-year-olds, and the number of students in fall 2013 that resided within each of those zip codes. Those last two numbers are then used to generate the participation rate per 1,000 per 1, residents. Uh, the second part of the table on the right uh, then contains the population projections for each zip code as of 2019 and as of 2024. So as conveyed here, the population, I'm going to scroll down a little bit so you can see the bottom of the table. Okay. 
So as conveyed here, the population of 15 to 34-year-olds within MVC's effective service area is expected to decrease by more than 5% by 2024. However, those population changes are not distributed evenly across the service area. For example, the population of 15 to 34-year-olds within American Canyon is expected to increase by more than 10% between now and 2024. So uh, on each page, a brief analysis, including information on recent MVC enrollments accompanies uh, each table or graphic. So that's what's on the right within that text box. The EMP update is being coordinated by my office, which is Research Planning and Int Institutional Effectiveness, or RIPI, because that's a bit of a mouthful. Um, so research analyst Chris Farmer compiles the data, and we then work together to draft the accompanying analysis and share the information with the steering committee as well as the campus community. Uh, as we have shared the data and analysis with the steering committee and others, the discussions have resulted in requests for additional information, and we welcome the interest in more data and the questions that are emerging as we discuss some of the trends um, shown in the data. At the same time, we are balancing those requests with the stated purpose of the EMP update. So as part of that process, we're working with the steering committee to distinguish between the type of information that should be the focus of the EMP update and data that will be incorporated into future drill downs to inform discussions in specific areas or to help identify ne next steps or strategies to address some of the identified challenges. Uh, to help focus the EMP on the information included in the project overview, we plan to embed additional information about the methodology and the data sets underlying the summary and analysis into the final report, and that information will be incorporated once the EMP update has been finalized. Um, so you'll see on the bottom of this sample page um, that highlighted link um, is intended as a placeholder for that. Uh, and with that, I'm happy to answer any questions you might have. The steering committee uh, composition is representation from all constituent groups? Right, right. The presidents of each of the constituent groups and Ron. And so from there it goes then back to uh, the, the uh, constituent groups. Yeah, and what, um, as you know, uh, um, talking about data and analyzing um, that information is a bit of a skill, and so uh, it doesn't go immediately um, via the presidents. Instead, what Chris and I are doing, as Chris mentioned in his classified Senate report, is that we're trying to go out and help facilitate those discussions and present the data. Okay. Interesting, the, uh, the decline in the 15 to 34-year-olds is very consistent with most recent study and survey done by the county on the growing population 60 and above. And that, that trend is going to uh, continue yeah, so that's, in this valley. And that, that's a good example of some of the data, the additional information that would be kind of lurking behind the scenes and available for those people who want to get the more complete picture. But, you know, again, to, to help focus the EMP update, we're looking at the, uh, the major changes that we need to be um, cognizant of um, as at the institutional level moving forward. And another piece of the effective service area that I'll um, mention here is that uh, although the, the overall population, and again within that age group, um, is uh, projected to de decrease, within that uh, population of 15 to 34-year-olds, the Hispanic population is expected to increase by 10% between now and 2024. 
Yeah, I, the, yeah, the consistency is, uh, you know, is there as well. I mean, the, there's never going to be affordable housing in this valley, and so 15 to 34, you know, uh, you know, are priced out of the market, so to speak, and that's not, you know, we're never going to, we don't have any more land, so that's never going to change. Well, that one, so. then it's also along, um, the, the other parallel trend is that we're all aging, some some of us have already aged out of that uh, population, that demographic, but but the other ones behind us, uh, you know, will be aging over the next 10 years as well, so. Well, that's true, but the, you know, the unified district's numbers show them down slightly, you know, and, uh, but it's you know it's all related to uh, to our land use policies that have you know were were developed out, and I don't think there's any of us that live here that would want that to change. But that you know that certainly got to play into the uh, to the master plan because uh, other than the imports from Solano County, or uh, our programming needs to reflect the, you know what we can and should be doing for the older population. Anyway, yeah, so that'll thank be you. part of ongoing discussions and uh, determination of what our strategies will be moving forward. Thanks. I'm, I'm wondering, as part of the, the data, um, I know Dr. Juni and Dr. Hawk in their budget report, and Kyle brought this up, and I've talked about it. Um, they talked about the need... Um, to look at student data to determine student demand for programs and courses um, to, to drive FTS up. And I was wondering, um, is, do you have any ideas of ways to collect? I noticed under industry there's labor market demand, but I'm wondering about student demand for various programs and courses. So there will be a part in the overview. Can we toggle back to that? Sorry, I don't um, is uh, so, so one thing that we have included in the data um, components is enrollment trends. Those generally are at the institutional or division levels, so not drilled down by course or individual instructional program as part of this project. So that's certainly something that would be, um, you know, subsequent conversations and that drill down to more specific uh, levels that would occur through enrollment management following the EMP. Uh, yeah. So, and and that would then impact things like scheduling. So you can look at in the past what where students have enrolled in what courses and programs. Right. And but there's happen. no way to evaluate like new things that they might want to have. Do you, do you understand what I'm that, saying? That that drill down would occur later. Okay. Yeah. This is the big general overview of the landscape surrounding and what we need to be mindful of moving forward and certainly enrollment management is a part of that and then looking at you know and implementing strategies to uh, either attract more students by um, offering classes at different times that would happen down the line it's not um, part of this larger or, or well smaller institutional plan but institutional level that's more programmatic anything else questions Thank you, Robin. Okay. 9.2, Vendor Guide. How to do business with the Napa Valley Community College District. How do we do business with the college? <laughs> Very carefully. Um, this Vendor Guide was put together. Um, the board didn't ask for this, but the board did ask for us to look at some of our purchasing values and to give some guidance to our vendors and also guidance to us in terms of our decision-making around vendor selection. So the way I elected to do that is through this vendor guide. So this is presented here for information for the board, and I'm happy to take any feedback or um, revisions you'd like to see to it. 
Thank you. I like it. Okay, great. <laughs> Thank you. Oops, go ahead. No, I really like it too. Thank you. This it's a great document. Um, yeah, so thank you for doing that. It's a really quality document. The only um, suggestion I had was um, under the values, the fair wages. I'm just wondering about maybe changing that to living wages, um, just because fair wages, what does that mean? Like, how do you define that? We know minimum wage, and then the kind of the counterpart to a minimum wage is the living wage, and there are actually living wage calculators to determine, you know, what's the minimum salary somebody would have to make to live in Napa County. So I didn't know if that could be a consideration. Um, there's different li- living wage calculators, but the most conservative one I've seen is MIT's. Um, and for example, there's, um, as of right now, they say that for a single adult with no children to live in Napa County would need to make $12.09 per hour. So anyway, it's just it's something that there actually is like you could, you could check up on. There's actually a definition of it. So twelve dollars and nine cents an hour. That's MIT's. There's other living wage budget calculators that put it on a higher end at sixteen forty three, sixteen dollars and forty three. Five hours a week to make that. Right. That's why. Yeah, I I said MIT because it's more conservative, you know. Um, but I think something that, you know, that they actually have a way of measuring um, and living wage they do so. Thank you. 9.3, report on Umqua Community College site visit. Wait, I'm sorry, Dan. Can I, can I ask Janine one last question about that? Sure. Can I? Okay. Second, sorry about that. Um, the other thing I was wondering, uh, where is it? It talks about that um, employees would need to, to choose from a list of vendors, and I'm wondering is the idea that they will have gone through this kind of screening and that that will be the list of vendors that the employees would be able to choose from, that they have these values in place? Well, I think it depends on the process. So if it's an RFP, it'd be one process. If it's just um, a standard standard purchasing that's done in terms of day-to-day operations, um, we would probably do it on a vendor-by-vendor basis. Um, so it depends which category of um, purchasing it fell into. So we have, you know, small purchases, informal quotes, public bidding, et cetera. So each of those um, categories would have a bit of a different process based on um, uh, public purchasing um, code. Is that it? And just to, just to be clear then, is it is the direction to change fair wages to living wages? I just want to make sure that that was the I, I would I would keep it at fair wages. The reason being is, on a personal note, my brother-in-law does business with a college, and I, 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 as a rule, I abstain from purchasing. He hires his son, who's high school, after school to work in the store, and he, and he has a place to live. So I don't know how you would equate living wage to, to somebody in that category. Is that a... Is that a reason to cast it out? Mm-hmm. I think it gets us a little bit of a slippery slope. Uh, I, I think fair was fine, especially with the rest of the uh, request throughout the document. Of course, the fair wage, 
each case is individual in that sense. How much money do you need? But how much is is the job worth for someone who lives in Napa County? I, I kind of, I kind, I agree with Amy on the living wage terminology. But if you want, we could vote on it. Just take but how it. are we? How are we? This isn't just Napa County, though. Right. right. I, so I think this, that's the challenge of a living wage distinction. It's we don't know where the employees live. We, the business may be right. located in a different different uh, you know location than we are. Um, so it, it gets a bit more complicated to, yeah. in this context. I think to say living wage, even though I, I personally support it, but how we make it work in this context is a little um, hard for me to think about. <laughs> How do we, how do we define fair wage then? Do you know? What I'm, I'm just concerned that if it's fair wage, that it doesn't, because there's. What does that mean? That. It, well, first of all, it would mean whatever the minimum wage is for the state, because you know there's some obligation, being a governmental agency, to that, and then, uh, you know, the for for our staff, there's the comparisons that are done statewide. For the majority of, uh, well, I shouldn't say the majority, but a number of positions, uh, and but, but I I think it needs to uh, stay as it is because I how do you, is you know, to define living wage here and living wage in Vallejo or Venetia? There's you know there's no comparison, so it. it isn't isn't well, workable. Besides, this was a yeah. this was a document that it's yeah. been recommended, and uh, there are some other things maybe to look at in terms of recommended changes. So you know we can note that. Well, it sounds to me the consensus of the board is to leave it as is. Is that correct? Does anybody disagree with that assessment? Okay. I don't know. A few board members haven't chimed in, so. I mean, what what it seems to me is that right now we're being we're arguing about the definition of a word, and this seems to happen a lot during our meetings. Um, I think the idea with this section is that we're not hiring people that are being paid severely low wages. We're to the point where they can't they can't support themselves. The the living wages thing, I'm all for it, but. We we we, we kind of need to we need to move on. We have a lot of other things we need to do. And as long as they don't beat their employees, then yeah, right. I mean, as long as they're as as long as we can establish that they're they're treating their employees um, ethically and aren't taking complete advantage of them, or you know, that there's always going to be a difference with them. Yeah, that's defined by minimum wage. Right. So, I think we should leave it as is. I think Gabriel brings up great points, and I read it before the meeting and I didn't see any issues with it. I mean, it's... Oh, again, it looks like it's just Amy and me that, that would change it, so the consensus of the board is to leave it as is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Oh, Ken, I'm sorry. This is a report I've been waiting for all night. <laughs> and hopefully I will uh, live up to expectation. You know, I, it was hard. I couldn't bring Aaron tonight. He actually is on a deployment. So um, 
Aaron is the is our comfort dog, and he's actually out uh, with one of the chaplains on a deployment to a family who's having a um, uh, a, a crisis. Uh, I want to thank uh, Dr. Kraft and and Oscar for, uh, for allowing me to uh, to go up to uh, Umqua and to serve them in and serve the community up there. It was a very humbling and interesting experience, humbling in the sense to watch Aaron, who I'll talk a little bit more, and hopefully you got his card right there, Aaron the Comfort Dog, work with young people and and first responders who were in in real need of healing, and interesting because I was able to watch really for uh, a week the recovery efforts at the college and not having, you know, and, and since I wasn't there as, as a, an official from a college, I got a very unvarnished look at everything. The, I, I sort of, I had a brown bag discussion. We had, uh, had a really interesting uh, uh, discussion with community and faculty the other day about this. And so I sort of titled this as Creating a New Normal, and that's, that's what that college was in the process of doing up there. Umqua was having to create a new normal. Everything that I said, and uh, in the register article is interesting, it stated some things in a way that I don't think I said them, but they, they came out in the press that way. One of them was that the college didn't have a plan. Well, that's, that actually isn't the case. There was a plan up there. They just, it, you can't write some of these things into a plan is what I was trying to get across. But anyways, um, anything I'm going to say is really there's no reflection on the college, anything they did or didn't do. Wherever this young man or this person was, that event was going to happen. Had he been our student, we would have been having a discussion about the, 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 that tragedy and the really evil things that he did. And having talked to the survivors, there was some real true um, face of evil that went on in that room, and I won't spend time on that, but it... It uh, they were they join an unfortunate fraternity, and I'm happy that I was able to go up there and help out with them. So a little bit about the comfort dogs. They uh, comfort dogs, and as you see there, I'm on Team Aaron. We are uh, the dogs are through the Lutheran Church Charities. There's 123 dogs deployed throughout the United States, and the reason they're called comfort dogs is and not service dogs is because they don't have they don't actually the dog is uh, not associated with a specific person. They're trained to a service dog level. The dogs get nearly two years of training before they're deployed. They're picked uh, for their personality and and watching them in action and the healing that they bring to people. Uh, and I'll talk a, a little bit more about that in a second. Is really great. So the. The shooting uh, occurs, the tragedy on the, on the campus occurs up there, and um, a local pastor asked for a team of dogs. That was week one. Uh, the first, and you sort of see some pictures there where the dogs visited people at the hospitals, they visited first responders, they visited the 911 center. And the other thing that was equally important at the college, again, making, in, and I'm going to bounce between dogs and decisions that the college made, the college, uh, the first week after the uh, shooting on the campus, realized that it needed to reset itself. It needed to deal with the psychological impact that people were having. It needed to rewrite its entire 
schedule because it was the second day of class when this happened up there. So they had to recreate schedules. They had to move rooms. They had to. They had hundreds of cars, uh, computers, books, uh, backpacks that had been abandoned by people as they fled the area. And so all of that has to be dealt with. And so that became a reset week. The dogs were really important, in, and here you see them in the lower right corner is that's a meeting going on with the faculty and staff, and the dogs are in there providing that just what they do. They provided aid and comfort to the people who were going there. The president of the college, I think astutely in the administration, realized and, and on the feedback that the dogs were really doing a phenomenal job. And as a request for, then they asked, when the college comes back into session, could you send another detachment of comfort dogs to the college? Um, in, our, in our recovery plan, that's certainly going to be one of the things that in our college continuity of operations plan, I will add that in there. Because even though, yes, I'm a dog handler, I'm on Team Aaron, by the way. He's the handsomest dog up there, but Team Aaron, we're, yeah, he is. Um, and uh, I'm on Team Aaron, and so um, the, it, watching these dogs and the effect that they had on the students was, in, was really incredible. So the other thing that happened up there was the community was as much a victim as was the, the college. This is an aerial view of the college. The college is all the way to the right. It's sort of that kidney bean shaped all the way out there in the, in the uh, uh, bow of the river. That road that you see coming in is about a mile long, and what I want to point out, the reason I show you this, is that every, for the first two days, the community lined that whole mile stretch. This is what you saw every morning as a student coming into the campus. And that was remarked on by the students who came and we interacted with because that helped their healing process. That really helped them. And trying to create that new normal. And that term I used, new normal, was from a student, I'm going to show a quote from her later on, is realizing that she has to create a new normal. Umpqua Community College will never be the same thing that it was. It will now be a college that has to learn to live with and process this disaster. Any college that goes through this, UC Merced, will never be the same college or the same university that it was. If any college has that event, you have to create a new normal because you're, you're now that's part of your legacy or the event. So as the dogs, uh, what happened was we were in the middle of the campus and we would deploy with both mental health and then sometimes by ourselves and people, the students would come up and they may hug a dog, they may sit, and uh, we had one young lady who on the first day spent three hours sitting with Aaron. We never spoke, never said anything. She never said anything to Aaron. What we eventually learned later on is she was one of the people who was walking into the classroom and saw the first person get shot in the head. And that she had turned around and ran and that she was suffering survivor's guilt because she said, I didn't do anything. Well, you know, you can't really having that discussion with somebody like this saying you did exactly what you should do. You, you, you know, you ran away, but she was still guilty. But watching Aaron interact with her, get her to open up, allow them to open the door so we could, so she could actually talk to a counselor. That's where these dogs were really so effective. 
Um, there's a whole list of things that I picked up from there that will affect our college should you know we ever have a tragedy like that. One of them is the need to create memorials, the, the need to create places for people to process the grief that was going on. The other one would be that um, that the the college president up there made some some good ideas, and that life continued. So you know you were watching; they had to continue doing stuff. the 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 college couldn't just focus on this event because instruction had to occur. The other thing that was really interesting, and well, foundation's not here, but the foundation up there took a pivotal role in relieving the administration of dealing with volunteers, manning staffing tables, handing out T-shirts, and the, the foundation really would be interesting to have a discussion with ours because they became part of the real recovery effort. And, and had they not been there, it, the college would have had a much more difficult time. Um, the dogs, we stayed on site for um, a, until the memorial. The president of the college up there made some very good decisions uh, with regards to recovery. One of the ones, too, was that there would be sort of an event, which was to memorialize everyone to, to have that, but to raise the flags to full staff and sort of indicate that the college was now, we had to move forward. You can't, you can't stay stuck in, in what was going on. So there was a lot of really good decisions. This is Snyder Hall. This is uh, the classroom. The two rooms that are directly behind that black awning is where the shootings occurred. Um, and this is the statement from the young lady who spent the three hours and then would progressively opened up to us over the course of a number of days. And she's the one who, coined, who, who said that term of she's creating a new normal. And this was sort of a part of her statement is, I saw a person get shot in the head that's never going to change there's not, it's not going to leave. I won't forget. I don't want to. Um, there aren't going to be a, there's not going to be a normal in a few weeks or even a year. And she was the one who talked about a new normal. So uh, I thank you for letting me go up there. I, uh, it was really gratifying to see uh, Aaron do, his, do that work with people. I got to help a lot of young people up there. The whole team did. I got to make, I got to see a lot of really good things that happened up there that are going to be reflected in, in what the college did. Hopefully you got a team airing card. Um, so any questions? I've got a question, Ken. Yeah, Just okay. relative to Napa College, how big is Umpqua College? Did you say? 3,000 students total uh, with about a 5,000 head count. So they're much smaller than we are. Um, uh, beautiful campus, really a very gorgeous facility, but a very small campus. One other thing that also occurred up there is they figure they lost a third to half of their students just left and, have, and will not come back to the college. They figure it will take them a year to recover enrollment. Just, they've lost almost half, just simply left and will not come back. It's a it's a site that's right on as you can see in that drawing on the yeah. uh, uh, on the river. Roseburg is where I was raised. Right, uh, nice community west of. Yeah. Uh, west. Interestingly, it's a very redneck town. I mean, in spite of this happening, there would be no talk about gun control. That that wouldn't be in the uh, for the most part. Yeah, and it's a community that isn't much larger than it was when I left there. 50 years ago. I mean, it's uh, it was uh, it's a logging community, yeah, basically, uh, blue collar. 
we we did we reached out we we went to a number of places within the community community was as much a victim as the college because everybody sort of knew each other and um that community support was i think crucial in in really getting that campus back onto its feet again yeah, uh, the, i mean it took a hard it was a hard blow it was a really really hard blow um, I set in uh, with the students who were the survivors from in there. That was probably the worst day for me. Uh, Aaron and I were in the room as they processed the first time coming back, the, the students who had survived in the room. Um, yeah, they, they, it was, that, that institution took a hard blow. I mean, it was, it, it was a level of evil that you don't often see. Well, there, there's also some, you know, some miraculous stories which you'd expect oh, yeah, out right. of I have a friend whose two granddaughters go there, and uh, one of them was supposed to have been in that classroom, but had gone down to administration for some reason, right. so it was not. I mean, those. Oh, there was yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of that. There's. I, I have a whole. Like I said, I don't want to spend the night tonight, but during the the brown bag talk, we had a good talk with some of the fac some some of our faculty about things. Um, there, a whole list of things that we really did. It, what I picked up was valuable information that never makes it into an after-action report. You know, we'll read an after-action report in in six months, but this is stuff that we're going to be able to capture, add to our our uh, response procedures that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. It just, you know, I got it because I was I was able to be in a position to observe things. Is there public safety uh, armed? Yeah, they up until this event, they had their security. They had security folks who were part of the facilities and and really operated more like custodians than than um, any physical, any real security. They were more the college itself. But they were armed. No, oh, oh, oh no, not at all. They armed. They weren't even trained. They barely wore uniforms. Um, uh, no, so uh, that. UCC is going to change. They've changed that to some degree. They hired a, I just read that they hired a retired um, sheriff's deputy who will be actually armed uh, on the campus now. And uh, he'll do 35 hours a week there. But they're having to rethink a lot of things. And from the security standpoint, UCC has a lot of issues they're going to have to address at some point. But it you know, wasn't my place to bring those things up. Right. They're the location in terms of the closest uh, first responders, the police, yeah, or I, the high, not highway patrol, Oregon State Police. The probably the closest that I could graph that there's right out at the very end. There's a fire station, uh, but then the closest out by I five. Uh, yeah, right out at the. If you look at that picture up there. Oh. Yeah, there, there's a little dot all the way. There's that intersection right there. There's like a little yeah. dot right there. That's actually a fire station. The closest police station, probably four or five miles. Yeah. The local police had trained out there, but they didn't get on scene from anywhere. I'm hearing anywhere from about five to nine minutes. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of time for things to, to go wrong. Uh, the other thing that happened up there is their their emergency communication system didn't work. Oh, so they weren't able to notify staff and students. They used social media instead, and that was the fire department down there doing it. Mm. Thank you for the T-shirt. You're appreciate welcome. It. Uh, and I sorry I only got the one because I knew it would be important to Joanne, but she got a survivor's T-shirt from the college.
yeah, good memory. Thank you, Ken. Hmm? Thank you, Ken. Yes, 9.4, first reading of new, revised, or to be repealed policies. <clears throat> um, in keeping with board policy D1140, college governance decision-making responsibilities, these policies were reviewed through the Council of Presidents and as appropriate by the Mutual Agreement Committee, it is anticipated that the board will take action on these policies at the November 2015 regular meeting. Do we have a motion? This is, uh, these action? This is an action. I think it's, this is first reading, so there's no. Uh... We haven't been able to put them up on the screen. Your mic's not on, I don't think. Okay. Sorry. Um, this is just an information item, a first reading. Well, that's what I thought, but the, the last link sentence is... said take action in November. Yeah. Oh, sorry. November. Yes. That's a typo. Okay. <laughs> How about we'll take action in December? That would be the correct date. Um, if you can maybe reorder a little bit, I can get these pulled up for you. I think I just forgot to publish the link. Yeah. It was uh, articulation. Uh, was one of the policies as well as student records. The articulation policy included a repeal of two existing policies and all those actions were approved by the Academic Senate. The student records policy went through the Council of Presidents and no comments were received. So they were also recommended for approval. Okay. But, uh, I can get them to you if you want to wait or... No, that's okay. Uh, we'll, we'll uh, put our stamp of approval next it, month. It doesn't uh, impede uh, alumni groups or from capturing emails or anything like that from students? <laughs> Say that again? No. I know what you mean. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No. I have a translator right here, right. so that's good. Okay. Never mind. 10.0 consent calendar. Do we have a motion? I'll move approval. Second? Do we have a second? Second. Second. All in favor of accepting the consent calendar, signify by saying aye. I, aye. I wanted to pull two items. You, did, you didn't. Are you supposed to ask if there's questions or discussion? Well, one so had a second, but okay. Which two items would you like to pull? Okay, ten point one point one. Okay. And ten point three point nine. Okay. So, with the exception of those aforementioned items. All in favor of approving the remainder of the consent calendar, signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Okay. So 10.1.1. Go ahead, Amy. I just had a question. I um, I noticed that the PG&E bill was like almost nothing. It was only 13000 and typically it's like 50000 or more. So I was wondering, is that a mistake, or did the college do something to drastically cut energy usage, or...? Somebody clean the solar panels. Out. Maybe yeah. Maybe somebody did they clean the solar panels or reinstall them or? I don't think we've done anything. <laughs> um, I would have to check into it. I honestly couldn't tell you off the top of my head. But I got I all excited. Happy I, I to thought. let you know. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. So it was only thirteen thousand. If it's correct, so that's that's a big change. So that was my only question. And then for ten point three point nine, I was wondering. I just wanted. 
So it said it's starting a credit food and brew program. So I'm wondering, so I know we have the culinary program at Valley, and that's um, fee-based. So does this mean we're going to have a culinary program that's for credit? Is that correct? 10.3.9. I'm looking at... Uh, Cabrillo College. Community College District. It's, it's CTE enhancement grant, Terry. Which one? Let's look and see. CTE enhancement. So what's the correct grant. number then? We already approved it, whatever it is. Um, we're, we're actually uh, are using RCT funds to look at developing a credit um, program uh, and actually have start work on some possibilities in regard to that. So we are looking at that. So is this like a grant to... Well, these are... Um, the, the, the state had a number of career technical education funds that were available over the last few years. Um, some of it was distributed to colleges without um, uh, uh, competition, basically, and others we had to write a proposal to compete for. And so this is part of those funds. And this is actually an extension of a grant that previously came to the board. I'm of approval. The number isn't right. And the other one we already approved because it was the wrong number. So I'll move approval of the... Of the two items that were pulled? Yeah. Well, okay. anyway, one of them already we know was Carol That 10.1.1. I think that is correct. The first one yeah, was correct. That, was, that Yeah, that one is... I think they're, they're both correct. 10.1.1 was the warrants where the pg bill appeared, and 10.3.9 was the contract amendment for the Career Pathways grant. The which, Cabrillo College... Uh, I'm sorry, CT enhancement. Pardon me. Oh, I see it. Okay. Uh, anyway, I'm going approval of those two. Is there a second? Sit. All in favor say aye. 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 I'm okay. sorry. Who is it? Thank you. And clearly I'll have to abstain because of the uh, appearance of a conflict of interest with Dub Sports, which is my brother-in-law's company. Okay, with that notation, we're going to move on to 11.0 action items. 11.1 changes to the curriculum. Dr. Juni. There's actually uh, two, two um, uh, pieces here. One was, uh, sorry, added just uh, as you were all in here um, listening to the Vine Trail. Um, this first one basically is a set of modified courses. Um, most of it's addition of distance ed to these courses. Um, and then if it keeps going down, um, clearly the non-substantive changes is basically, um, I'm not sure what the changes were to this, but they were uh, slight cha- Oh, here we go. Um, changes to the method of instruction, um, minor changes to course description, things of that nature. And then some were archived. The, the three photo classes at the end were archived or are being archived and then yeah and then the amendment um, that was uh, added while you were all in um, the vine trail are the, the, this is actually kind of important because th- this is the first time since I've been here and I believe maybe the first time ever that the board of trustees have been asked to approve col- um, community ed courses 
Um, community ed courses are fee-based are, are fee courses, so they're courses that um, students are expected to pay the full cost of those courses. Um, these are courses that we offer mostly at the Upper Valley Campus, although we can offer them at different locations. Um, and in the past, um, those have not been brought to the board. Uh, Title V actually requires that these don't go through the normal curriculum approval process as credit and non-credit, but they do require board approval, so you will be starting to see these. And so these two courses are the first of these uh, community service courses um, that have recently been developed. One, the Business of Brewing, um, is a t basically a two-Saturday course um, where uh, students can take this course and learn, learn the Business of Brewing. Um, and the location that this course actually um, was planned to be offered was at Napa Smith, not here on our campus, but at the Napa Smith Brewery. Um, and then the second one, 1 1.2, is an experiential introduction to biodynamic agriculture. Um, this course actually has quite a history. I won't tell you the whole part of it, but this basically sprung from the interest of um, our, many of our students who are interested in biodynamic agriculture being part of our curriculum. Um, and this has been developed through some expertise of people who are involved in the biodynamic agriculture um, uh, um, program. And so they have developed a, a course um, that will be an introduction to this. Uh, and it's our intent, actually, with your approval, um, that we will offer the first uh, offering of this in the spring. Um, I put a flyer on all of your uh, stations that basically is the marketing that will be part of the marketing that will be used to recruit students to take this course. Move approval. Second. All in favor say aye. 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 Okay, now, as I mentioned before, 11.2 has been removed because we don't have the um, audit, audit from, the, uh, from the state. We'll, that will come up again next month. So 11.3, budget update and financial statements. Dr. Hawk. Thank you. Um, you. I don't know if you want to take these one by one or if you want to take them as a group. Um, I, I would... Uh, I wouldn't object to taking them as a group. Okay, I'll just Me talk. Too. Okay, I'll just talk about them each briefly. Then um, the first item is the quarterly financial report through September 30th. Nothing really to note there. This is only our activity from July 1st through September 30th. Nothing that you haven't already seen or heard about in other um, previous uh, budget updates. Uh, second item is our 311 report. This is uh, reporting for the period ended June 30th, 2015. Again, um, this basically just translates our accounting uh, information into report form. Um, you've seen the data in terms of the adopted budget previously. Um, next item is the same thing except for the first quarter of this year. Um, the fiscal health checklist uh, for the period September 30th, the only items of note on that um, that have changed from the previous one, which you saw last meeting for the period ended June 30th, um, an item related to cash flow, um, because as we've talked about before, so much of our revenue now is local as opposed to state apportionment, which comes to us on a monthly basis. Our local income tends to start in uh, mid-November um, when property tax receipts come in. So we have quite a bit of lag between July 1st now and when local revenue starts to come in. Uh, created a little bit of a crunch for us. Um, however, the state, the county did release, um, did an early release of some property tax receipts uh, to us, which 
um, got us out of a little pinch. Um, in the future, the district will probably have to entertain going back to getting tax revenue anticipation notes, um, which is a low-cost way for us to um, ensure that we have cash flow from July through November, December period. So um, in terms of cash flow, we did note that this was an issue for this period. Um, and then the last item had to do with, um, it's towards the end, Carolee, I think. Uh, leadership stability, thank you. Um, is this area acceptable, yes or no? Um, that changed to a no based on budget committee dialogue about the number of administrative positions we have open right now. Um, and so obviously, um, uh, doesn't have to do with the CEO, board of trustees, but mainly just generally administrative positions and especially um, dean's positions. Um, so that was a change from a previous quarter. And then lastly, um, we're bringing you the budget revision, which we spoke about at the last meeting. This um, is a way for us to augment our general fund budget to include the um, appropriation for mandated one-time mandated cost dollars. This um, did go through uh, budget committee as well, and um, they um, are also in agreement about the approach of putting um, million four into the per service reserve, um, $500,000 for technology projects, particularly that are going to augment enrollment management efforts, and then the balance going into our unrestricted reserve. This doesn't mean that you can't do other things with these dollars down the road if, if you so choose, um, but at least it enables us to augment the budget at this point with these in this particular way. Move to approve. Second. Second. Anyone, anyone have any questions? And all in favor of accepting the report, signify by saying aye. 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 Hearing no opposition, we move on to 11.4. Sale of real property, Menlo. Sell it. Again, Dr. Hawk. So this is the purchase agreement um, that we're bringing you for the sale of our Menlo property um, to Napa Valley Unified. Um, both the school district and the college um, are in agreement with this language for this purchase contract. We have opened escrow at First American Title, uh, and they have deposited $25,000 um, in escrow. Um, so we're looking for approval for the board on the purchase agreement, and pending that, the Unified Board will take action next week. Move approval. Second. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Goodbye, Menlo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the day before it closes, we'll go there and throw a big one. 11.5, new revised or to be repealed board policies, second reading. In keeping with board policy, college governance, decision-making, and responsibilities, these policies were reviewed through the Council of Presidents as appropriate by Mutual Agreement Committee. Is there a motion on those? Move. I move to approve. Second. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? I have a question. Go ahead. <laughs> um, and I emailed about this. Um, so, well, the first part... Is the numbering, um, well, first of all, the language is not in line with the CCLC, but that's not my main concern. I was wondering about the numbering, because um, in CCLC, which all of our other numbering follows, um, travel is BP7400, and we have it as BP6310, which for them is accounting. 
So I'm just wondering about the numbering. So um, it's true that it does differentiate from CCLC. That was purposeful on my part. Um, the 6300 board policies are related to fiscal management, and I believe a travel policy is related to fiscal management. I know they have it in human resources. I think it's unusual to put it into human resources because this is not really a human resources issue. <laughs> this is really an administrative issue and primarily a financial issue. So I have taken license to put it where I think it belongs. <laughs> and I think I it's 6310. No, that made sense. I just, yeah, I didn't know. I was wondering about that. And then the second thing, I'm hoping at some point you could bring to us the administrative regulations because I have some concerns about the administrative regulations that go along with this policy. Um, well, first of all, I think it's not totally in alignment with the board policy. There's there's things that are mentioned that should be, according to this board policy, that should be in the administrative regulations that aren't in there. So I think it's a, we need to look at it for alignment. But the main thing is I'm concerned that um, in the administrative regulations, um, it mentions that the president will approve out-of-state travel and that the board will approve international travel. But as far as in-state travel that's outside of 50 miles, which is when a hotel's allowed, it doesn't say anything about anybody having to approve that. So um, I, I think that's an omission. I think it's important. Anything that involves a hotel, it seems like somebody and probably the president should have to approve that. So, um, you know, we're talking, we've been talking about budget and, you know, ways to save money. And I've actually had a couple people from the college talk to me about concerns what they perceived as excessive travel, um, and one of them was in California. It was in Southern California that involved hotels. And so, anyway, I just would like to have that come back. We can sure look at the ARs and then see. I mean, the, normally the vice presidents or somebody would be reviewing these, you know, if they were a conference. Does this belong, though, here? I mean, we're talking about future agenda items while we're... Oh. Uh, the related. Bigness policy. Well, all, well, all travel has to be approved by the person's supervisor. Right. There's no I understand. unreviewed travel. <coughs> so I'm saying is in the administrative regulation, it doesn't say anything about travel that's, you know, still in-state but outside of the 50 miles where a hotel is allowed. So I think, I think that should be looked into. I, I, we can clarify the AP. Let's bring it back. That's fine. This is okay, though. Well, we'll bring it may back I, next month for information. May I just clarify, uh, Amy, that when when there is something that we're going to be approving and you have a comment, the place to do it is when the chair first brings it up, that you have a question or you specifically <laughs> want to pull it. If you just have a question, then you don't need to pull it. You can ask your question, and then if you're not satisfied, pull it. But you, you, these last two, you've waited until we voted on it, and then you raised your issue. The time to do it is when it first <coughs> comes up before. It's right after the second. Right. I don't. Maybe it goes so fast that I don't, don't have a chance so, to. So, yeah, that's the problem. All right. All right. We'll have she doesn't have to. She doesn't need to wait till it's been a motion has been made. Well, that is a proper Roberts' yeah, rules, though. Second, first, second, and then on the question. Before I used to do it at the beginning, and I was told I had to wait until after the motion was seconded. So, so you got to jump in there, I guess, or maybe I should uh, be sure I give everyone enough time before I call for the question. I get a little, little quick on the draw sometimes. Okay, 
12.0, Board Reports, Viticulture and Winery Foundation. Raphael. Well, for the first part of my report, I'll just refer you back to the President's Report, page uh, one, that first uh, paragraph. Um, actually, I think that uh, one thing about the uh, Whole Foods, um, you know, picking up uh, the the wine, that that whole project, I think it's important. I thought it was very interesting and important. Uh, I think it was Chris, yes. who's out selling the wine, who pointed out that this whole thing, he's basically, he closed the deal finally that was started by a student out of the program, uh, you know, I don't know, a couple of years ago or something. And if you've ever tried to sell wine to a, a store or a chain store, it's a, it's a very cumbersome, long process. And I think it's important to recognize that this was done, you know, because of some work that a student did as a project in the program that uh, made this possible. So I would just add that to uh, to the report and hope everybody's shopping at uh, Whole Foods on the 9th. Excellent. Thank you. On the 9th of uh, December. 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 Okay. There's also a tasting there as well, so you taste the wine just to reaffirm. Free? Well, I'm sure everybody here has tasted the wine, right? I've even bought it. <laughs> <laughs> Not Gabriel? Yes. Oh, yes. All right. <laughs> We'll get you Thank something. You. Don't worry. Is that it? That's it. All right. Thank you. Redevelopment Oversight Committee, Joanne. We haven't uh, uh, we haven't met since last meeting. Okay. And legislative affairs. First of all, I'm going to appoint Kyle to the uh, legislative committee at his request. And. Uh, We've done more organizational stuff at the last meeting, but it's going to be a very staff-driven committee, and what we're going to focus on is legislation, obviously legislation that pertains not just to community colleges per se, but which will affect Napa Valley College in particular. And, uh, you know, when the items come up, we we want to be very active in meeting with our legislators and... um, deciding which ones to focus on because, you know, we give uh, legislators scattergun approaches. We like these 10 um, proposed laws. It's not going to get anywhere. We've got to focus in on one or two laws, and that's what we're going to do. Been Like I say, the meetings so far have just been structural meetings. So anybody else, do you want to add anything, Marianne or Ron, to that? Well, I think to add to that, we... We got the legislative calendar in front of us, and, you know, this way we were able to really project, you know, our timeline. And, um, yeah, and I think we've got a pretty good plan in place. Yeah, Lisa did a good job of mm-hmm. getting that calendar together for us. So next time we have something to report, we'll have something a little more substantial. Okay, the ad hoc committee reports the annual CEO annual goals. Goals, Michael, do you want? I'm sorry that that's because they had a meeting. I mean, it was an agenda item. That's. Uh, oh. I was just going to point out that the audit committee is missing from the standing committee reports. Oh, yes. you're right. So let's retroactively go back to 12.1. 
and add 12.1.4. The audit committee. So move. We, yeah, we met today and received the audit from uh, from John Dominguez. There, actually, Janine, maybe you should report on this. Sure. So um, the audit committee did receive the report um, for f- uh, 1415. Um, uh, John Dominguez went through um, one major change in terms of how the audit is um, being presented, and that's the inclusion of our share of the pension liability for PERS and STRS. Uh, and that will show up uh, now in our statement of net assets. Uh, unfortunately for us, <laughs> that's a pretty large amount of money, um, about $23 million, um, that is now going to show up as uh, appearing as if it's a district liability. Um, even though it's not directly a district liability, um, the perspective now is that PERS and STRS will um, either through employee contributions or, empl- or employer contributions or a combination thereof um, will be seeking um, funding of this um, unfunded liability um, at the local level. Um, and so the new GASB requirement is that it's showing. Um, in in uh, the sixteen seventeen audit, we'll also start to see on our statement of net assets our OPEB liability. Um, and so our balance sheet now, unfortunately, uh, as a result of this, has a negative net asset value um, because we don't have enough other assets to offset this liability. Um, as John pointed out, that's going to be the case for many institutions in the state. Um, this doesn't just apply to community colleges. This applies to any K-12 district or any other municipal entity um, that may participate in PERS or STRS. So that's a big change. Um, You all have um, heard uh, the financial reporting before from Glenn or myself. Um, There was one audit finding um, which had um, really an underfunding implication uh, to the district. This was related to um, testing that the auditors do in compliance with the state audit manual um, of ensuring that our... um, um, daily attendance classes um, are being captured um, and counted in terms of FTS using the actual contact hours. Um, in their sample, they found a number of courses where that wasn't the case. Um, and so um, they did a, uh, uh, expanded their sample. We expanded the sample to all of the courses. Um, and as a result, we identified 3.3 FTS um, that were undercounted. Um, we had courses going uh, that were too high, courses that were too low, but the net effect was 3.3. The finding itself wasn't related necessarily to the financial issue. It was related to the fact that this was an issue um, that was identified. We, of course, have corrected it in, um, in the Office of Instruction as well as the Associate Dean of um, Registration, Jessica Milliken, who's also here tonight, um, went through and um, uh, did this audit on a, on a course-by-course basis and, and cleaned up that file. Um, we So we have corrected it in terms of our filing in the recalc, and he noted that um, in the finding as well. And, and just to clarify that... that uh unfunded liability is really not a new amount. It's just a new way that the CalPERS and CalSTRS is reporting their unfunded liability rather than just saying they're responsible for that big hunk of money. They've chopped it up 
for every institution, how much is their specific liability? So it's just a reporting change more than anything. Well, based on previous years, I mean, originally when we first started talking about that, it was $30 million, so we've paid down $7 million. That's pretty impressive. There's more to come, too. Glenn, <laughs> it... Yeah, this, so this is OPEB. Um, so OPEB is what you're referring to, Trustee Busenbark. This is actually related to PERS and STRS. Oh, okay. Um, so this is the state kind of pushing down their liability, as, as uh, Trustee DeGuardi was saying, down to the district level. So this is in addition to OPEB. <laughs> that wasn't Sharing the love. Hear, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. CEO Annual Goals Committee. Michael. We met last Thursday the 5th. Uh, our work uh, will be finalized at the December 10 meeting and closed session. Very good. Trustee reports. Ms. Martinson. Okay. Um, first, um, I met Dr. Kraft's Challenge, and I attended two musical events. Um, I went to the Rogers and Hammerstein performance and then also Professor Gonzalez's jazz trio, and they were both wonderful. Every, I mean, every performance I've gone to here has been top-notch, so it was, it was great. Um, also, let's see, I also went to a film showing um, that was here that was part of Food Day, um, and it was basically, it was a film, but it was also a presentation by an author who wrote a book called Public Produce, um, and it's basically about using public spaces to grow food. Um, you know, we, we have a fair amount of poverty in Napa County, and so the idea is to have more fresh fruits um, available to the community that we use public spaces, like, you know, in front of City Hall, most strips. Um, but Julianne Inman was there, and she mentioned, you know, what about the college? So um, I just, I know we've been talking about a sustainability plan. Maybe part of that could be that when we do new landscaping, that it be edible, including fruit trees. Um, another thing he talked about how was UC Davis, and I guess I, I've never seen it, but I guess they have a lot of olive trees, and they used to just be a nuisance, dropping olives all over the street that and sidewalks that people would fall on. But they turned it into an asset, and apparently it's they have a huge olive oil business, and they make all sorts of products from the olive oil. I didn't know that. Um, and you can actually go online and buy their products. Um, and apparently they make so much money that it funds their research in olives. So um, their program is self-sufficient. Um, and I was glad to hear about the Whole Foods because I was actually kind of thinking, you know, with something we produce, the wine, I, I really enjoy the wine. I'm out of mine from the harvest. And I was thinking, you know, I know I can get it, but, you know, it'd be nice if it was more easily accessible. And I don't know if it's possible to sell it online, but um, that's what they're doing with their olive oil. Um, maybe wine's different. I don't know. But I thought that would be something to consider. Um, let's see. Oh, in terms of um, data, I, I brought it up during the discussion about the educational master plan, but um, I think it's really important to, again, um, look at some way to find data in terms of you know, what students want to look at new programming. Um, I understand using enrollment trends, but that would just be looking at what they're enrolling in based on the current offerings. Um, so I actually sent Carolee a document. I sent several of you. Maybe we could pull it up. Because um, basically, with the school district, uh, this is NVUSD, 
Which one, Amy? Oh, let's see. There's cluster or by career? Maybe by, by career. So the entire school district uses a program called Naviance. I've mentioned it before. Um, it's an online career development and career exploration program, and they use it in all the middle schools and all the high schools. Um, and basically, you know, part of it, it's, it does more than this, but a piece of it is that students take career assessments and then based on the results, they indicate careers that they're interested in. Um, and so I just pulled up the data for our current seniors, and this is what they're, they indicated they're interested in in terms of careers. So we're a very small school. We only have 152 students, but all of the high schools would have this information available. Um, so you can see the careers that they mentioned that they are interested in. Um, the other one, if you want to, I can send this to everybody if you want. Um, the other one is it also shows what career clusters they're interested in, so not specific careers, but career pathways. So I just I think there's an opportunity there for the college um, to to have this kind of information from the high schools because we do survey all of our seniors. The other thing I don't have it because it's, we need to redesign it, but on top of this, every senior when they leave us has to do a senior exit survey, and they say what their plan is. So that's even more immediate. Um, right now, what I could give you is it says whether they're planning to either work or go into the military or two-year or four-year, but there's an opportunity to narrow it down even more in terms of career, because by the time they leave, they should have a better idea you know, of exactly what career they want, they're planning on going into. So um, anyway, Mark Morrison at the district or Jessica Gall, if you're interested, every high school could provide you with this information. And maybe it could be part of the educational master plan if you think it's appropriate. Um, and then lastly, I just want to thank Dr. Hawk um, for her work. Um, I mean, we, we don't, we're not here every day, but we every month see what you guys bring to the table. And I just really appreciate your hard work and how competent you are, how intelligent and um, honest. Very, you know, I, people have mentioned it before, um, but you, we know exactly what's going on. It's very, you're very direct, and I really appreciate that quality. Um, so I just want to thank you. Thank you. Raphael. So on um, November 3rd, I went over to Sonoma State University. Um, I was uh, invited by Ray Johnson, the director of the Wine Business Institute over there. Uh, he had contacted me because the, the, uh, there was a joint hearing from the Senate and Assembly Committees on Wine um, and he he contacted me to let me know, asked me if I if I wanted to come over, and actually if I wanted to bring my wine. He thought it would be, you know, nice to have you know a, a local wine there at the reception after the the hearing. And I was sorry that I didn't actually see the agenda uh, beforehand, um, but um, when I got there. Um, you know, Lois Walk is the chairperson from the Senate, and Bill Dodd is the chairperson from the uh, Assembly Committee. Um, and the hearing, there were three topics they were discussing. One was on water issues um, in the industry, and it, more in general, um, also farm worker housing. Uh, and the third one was about raising awareness uh, about 
educational programs in viticulture and enology. Um, and sitting there listening to the hearings on these things, you know, they had the UC Davis was there, uh, their director of their program, and then, of course, the Sonoma State uh, director was there. And I wish I would have known ahead of time that this was what it was because, well, we weren't there. <laughs> and uh, I think it would have actually been good for them to hear from, you know, someone here about our program because being at the community college and accessibility and, and those sorts of issues for, you know, students um, who are interested in this. You know, UC Davis, I knew it was a small program, but the analogy, they graduate about 36 people a year in, out of their program. That's tiny. So as far as, you know, people wanting to learn about enology and viticulture, we, we have the potential to reach more students. And so I was sorry I didn't know about that because I, I would have tried to get them to, to uh, have someone from here come to the hearing and speak on that. But I think we, we need to reach out to, to Bill Dodd um, and maybe uh, Lois Walk uh, in some way, let them know about the program here. And I know that Bill knows about it, um, but something to try to raise awareness in them or in their committees about us and keep us also, keep our program, you know, kind of at the forefront when they're, they're thinking about these issues. Um, and I don't know, maybe if the legislative committee, that's, that's something that's appropriate, yes. or maybe we can send the committees, you know, some wine, <laughs> um, you know, uh, but I think we should try to do something to, to raise their awareness of our program. I've got a question now. Obviously, Mr. Johnson invited you, but uh, all the other people there, were they invited by the committee, or was, did they just find out about the committee? Well, they're, they're open hearings. Right. So, but you have to either check their schedules um, or, you know, subscribe. I don't know if you can subscribe to, to their agendas or something, but, um, and so, obviously I, I knew that they have hearings, but this, I didn't know about this one. So they didn't neglect to invite us. We just didn't know about it. No, no, so. because they invited. They, they, uh, they have, um, they, at the hearings, they invite the people who speak to them on the issues that they're discussing. Right. Stakeholders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so they invited UC Davis. <laughs> right. Um, and then the director of the program at Sonoma State. Uh, for the farm worker housing, they, they had, I think, five different people um, who were testifying, basically, um, and the same thing for the water issues. Uh, so, right. so they invited those people. So they didn't know to invite us, and so what you're saying is well, they should. Us to let well, them know they should we, know about us, right? Right. <laughs> so that's that's on so, us to communicate. Well, to I don't think it, it's necessarily on, on us. I think we should be proactive, right? Uh, but they should know about us, um, right? I can reach out to Bill's staff and make sure that we're on that, that list. Yeah. Yes, I think we should be a little more proactive, mm -hmm. though they, they should have, I think, invited us. Right. Yeah. And that was in um, the October 22nd Napa Register, Paul Franson's article, so we missed that as far as the, uh, the hearing hosted by Bill Dodd and Lewis Walk. So, Joanne, 
Oh, excuse me. Maybe one idea is to ask them to have their next hearing here. Here. That's true. They don't necessarily have to be in Sacramento, do they? No. Excuse me, John. No, I'm all done. It was far more interesting than anything I have to say, so I'm going to be very brief. Uh, the luncheon, I agree with the comment about the culinary school uh, graduation. Uh, they always do. It's a you know, it's an extended family, and they. Uh, uh, they did a really nice job. Talked with one family afterwards whose, uh, it was their godson. They had come from Minnesota to participate in the graduation, never been to the valley before, were totally uh, stunned. Uh, and uh, he actually did his internship, externship, in Minneapolis and uh, ended up getting hired as their executive chef when it was uh, all said and done. So that was good. The, I, Carolee, do you know the uh, offhand the date that we can start making reservations for the, the luncheon? If you've not done the culinary school luncheon, that's a treat. I don't offhand, but I can get that for you. Just email it to me sometime. Thank you. Sorry about your cold. That's it. Thank you. Michael. A couple things. Uh, one, I thank uh, Dr. Juni and the uh, uh, curriculum committee, et cetera, et cetera, for moving on one of the the uh, viticulture and winery technology uh, items. The uh, and uh, being a president at Ritstock, because there again, uh, UC Davis was well representative with with uh, professors and such from. Uh, from the viticulture, winery, technology, plant pathology, et cetera, et cetera, and we were there. So that's that's a, that's a great thing, great start. I was also, um, I don't know how, but uh, somehow it trickled down to me to be involved in a wine marketing class, uh, Paul Wagner's class, and I, apparently he was out of town, so it was hosted by Paul Gusperdarek. Forgive me if I mispronounce that. Um, Shark Tank. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Kraft and um, um, I invited Gregory Rodino and um, and Greg, excuse me, Glenn uh, Raphael, uh, who has extensive bus- uh, business experience in the luxury uh, goods, to sit uh, as a panel and review student um, um, proposals regarding the marketing and sales of. Napa College wines. So it was all great fun. It uh, lasted until 10 o'clock. So uh, we were all set for a glass of wine, maybe a bottle. Uh, so look forward to next year or the next class. Um, uh, interesting to, to hear some of what's going on with the Performing Arts Center as far as the, the management side and directing side. Uh, again, had dinner with uh, James W. Fuller, uh, who's um, principal of Baytree Capital and formerly sat on uh, um, uh, Ronald Reagan's staff under budgets and so on and so forth and he's interested in uh, reaching out. Uh, Dr. Kraft has met with him before but he wants the contacts to to partner with uh, uh, New York well actually the Academy of Film and, and Arts uh, which has 
Hollywood as their base as well as New York City, and they're looking for something up in this area. So um, he's out there. He's still interested, just waiting for the support there. And I think they'll write checks. Thank you very much. Thank you. Somebody the Bill Hardy ought to meet. Probably. Yes. Yeah, play some golf, right. most definitely. <laughs> Marianne. I shook Hillary Clinton's hand. Have you washed it yet? Yes, yes, I know. Yes, okay, all right. And I had my little badge on, and she said, I love community colleges. That's a good idea. And then I also went to the cooking school graduation. I thought that was pretty wonderful. Uh, that was my first graduation to attend of theirs. So, and the, I mean, sorry, Joanne. Um, I cried several times. You know, some of those stories were just unbelievable. What people had, you know, gone through. There was one young woman who received a scholarship whose house burnt down in Lake County up in Middletown the day before, you know, she, the house burnt down, she lost everything and still came to school, you know, so. Never missed a class. Never missed a class. And uh, so some of the stories were just incredible and um, really tug at your heart quite a bit. Today I had um, a day full of meetings. I started out with my Workforce Investment Board meeting, which is now the Workforce Development Board, under the WEOA Act instead of the WEA Act. Um, and so we're going through quite a bit of a transition there, focused a little different on uh, working more with businesses and stakeholders. And so today we had a discussion about uh, industry sectors in Napa County, well, regionally, it's uh, healthcare, manufacturing, and hospitality, which of course can break down into other areas as well. And uh, that all within the middle circle, and then the outer circle being the stakeholders, which also includes the community colleges and uh, the partnerships that we can have in making sure that uh, we're all working together and. Um, you know, there's so many efforts, and one of those that I stumbled, sort of stumbled across today, I was telling Dr. Kraft about it, Keith Caldwell came in to talk about the new jail. And, um, and a lot of what he was talking about is that some of the Napa County programs are really unique in that we're not just about incarceration, uh, but that we are about you know, learning and development and, uh, you know, making sure people don't leave and come right back again. And so um, I mentioned that, you know, within the past couple of days, the governor added to the budget some money that was uh, both foundation and public funds blended, and uh, it was for training and that uh, the chancellor, community college's chancellor, you know, said that we're committed, you know, to educating incarcerated as well as formerly incarcerated. And so, uh, you know, I was at the Workforce Investment Board meeting, which, you know, they work with people and direct them to where they need to go and how 
they could be sort of the middle person in the whole process, but then how might that affect, um, you know, maybe students that, you know, could increase our FTS as well and how that might work. So anyway, it just, I thought it was just incredible because having been in the staffing industry as long as I have, the worst thing that you have to do is to be able to tell, you know, is to tell somebody, well, you had this felony, you know, five years ago, and so, sorry, but you can't get a job. Well, now what are they going to do? They're going to go back to crime. So it's really incredible. I mean, it's really exciting that this kind of stuff is being talked about. You know, we're not just saying, oh, those are those incarcerated people, you know, um, and that there's programs like this. So I'm, I'm hoping that maybe Ron and our Terry and Keith Caldwell and Bruce Wilson at the Workforce Investment Board can can talk about this and maybe get us participating and there's maybe some low-hanging fruit there for us. And then Rootstock. I'll tell you a funny story. <laughs> so I'm going to the Workforce Investment Board meeting up in Calistoga. And uh, and I'm with one of my colleagues on the board, and I saw the sign, Rootstock. I said, all right, let's play a game. Signs you don't see in other counties. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> kind of funny. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Inside Napa humor. But I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm easily amused. Okay. So that's it. Anybody wants to see my pictures of Hillary, just let me know. I'll show them to you right afterwards. Just find it on Facebook. They're true. That's there. true. They're on Facebook. Thank you. Kyle. Everybody had long-winded uh, reports tonight. I just uh, I attended the Upper Valley graduation with the cooking school. I thought that was really neat and inspirational. It's the first time I've gotten to do that, and... It was pretty toasty up there, a little warm sitting out under the sun. Maybe we can do something different next year. Um, I also Terry's attended... Terry's the only one that was under the direct sunlight. <laughs> he had a rough spot. I also attended the Halloween event here on campus. I thought Classified did a really good job with that. It was fun to see the camaraderie on campus. And I was able to make it to the VWT Foundation meeting and got to see how that works and yes I'm just not talking into it sorry uh it was an awesome meeting to go to for the first time because of the Whole Foods announcement and I think that we're heading in the right direction with VWT and I think the district is moving in a positive direction and I'm happy to be a part of it and I think everyone's doing a good job and we still have a lot of work to do and Jenny and I think I want to thank you for your service you've done a great job and you've been a tremendous asset to the district and i wish you the best with uh whatever comes your way next i i i meant to say something too i forgot i got caught up in the rootstock thing (laughs) i just want to say thank you as well dr hawk because you've been uh again a lot of what amy said honest direct really a huge help to uh you know to bringing 
the information forward to the board. I think that, um, you know, when you come to the board, you bring things to the board to where you really break it down and we can have a grasp of, you know, what the big picture is, um, as well as in audit committee meetings, uh, too. So I really appreciate um, all that you've done and good luck with whatever you end up doing. Gabriel. Everyone, uh, sorry, my report might be a little bit long. Um, I do, I do like the fact that the meeting is going to be over soon. Uh, I have a lot of homework to do. <laughs> um, but um, I've had quite a busy month, um, and ASNVC has had quite a busy month as well. Um, like Oscar mentioned, we went to the California Community College uh, Student Affairs Association workshops. Um, those were really helpful. Um, they gave me, they gave me quite a couple of points to go on for um, board leadership um, be because we definitely need that there. Um, we've, I've also been in talks with um, some of my board members in establishing a goal committee uh, that I'm chairing. And what what we're going off of there is the board goals that um, the BOT has. Um, I thought those, those were excellent. Um, but we could adapt them towards um, associated students so that we are a little bit more um, focused in what it is we want to do uh, throughout the year and semesters, uh, so look forward to those being published soon. Um, also, I've been in talks with Ben, and w Associated Students is going to establish its own student learning outcomes, um, so I'm going to be helping out with that as, long, uh, as well with some of our other um, board members. Um, I know that we have a lot of discrepancies in our constitution and bylaws, so I've been going over that and trying to figure out what it is that needs to be changed, in my opinion, and we'll also be consulting with our constitution and bylaws um, committee to iron those out. Um, while I was at the Seesaw Conference, um, I did a little bit of networking with the Santa Rosa Junior College um, Petaluma campus representative. Uh, she was the only one to go. And what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to schedule a meeting between our associated students and theirs so that we can bounce ideas off of each other about um, governance, um, representation, things like that. Um, so I can't say look forward to that because you guys won't be going to that. But um, the last but most important thing that we've been in talks about through this last month is the Associated Students Open Forum. So what that's going to look like is that um, Ben and I sat down and recognized that we're not, we need to have a little bit more of student accountability and we need to be able to identify what it is that students feel are issues on campus. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be uh, reserving the community room and we're going to have about an hour, two hour long forums so that students can attend. We're, we're going to heavily uh, market them uh, around campus so that we can introduce ourselves to our students for those who may not know us and really get the ball moving on what it is they want to see that um, we should be doing on campus as their um, student government. So it's an accountability thing. Um, and uh, I also wanted to mention, uh, uh, thanks, Janine. Uh, I know we've had limited interaction throughout these board meetings because I haven't been on here um, that long, but uh, I wish you luck wherever you're going. That'll be it for me. Thank you, Gabriel. And my report will actually be short. I was gone for half the month, so I didn't have as much activity. Marianne took some of the wind out of my sails because I was going to talk about the, the young lady from Middletown that, didn't miss a class even while our house is burning. Yes, even while our house is burning down. 
Uh, the main thing I did uh, this morning, Dr. Kraft and uh, Carolee and I met with Holly Brown. Holly is, uh, she's apprentice coordinator for the operating engineers in Napa and Solano County, but she's also chair of the North Bay Apprentice Coordinators Association. And we were here to discuss logistics for the career fair that they want to do here probably toward the end of April, but we haven't quite nailed down an exact date. We've got three possibilities and we walked the campus to talk about logistics. And the thing with this career fair, it's not just a bunch of booths set up to pass out information. This is going to be hands-on for the students to actually get a taste of each of the individual trades. And there'll be plenty of giveaways, and there'll be a barbecue. It'll be, it'll be a big deal. And it's uh, uh, part of our job is to arrange with the high schools to bus their students here. And they've, they've put it on at several other places before, and this will be the first time at Napa College. So um, we're really looking forward to that. And again, Janine, you have a, a good way. What I like is the way you managed to put all that gobbledygook into an understandable format. That's, I, I do appreciate that. And just don't forget, next year is an even year, so it's go Giants. <laughs> Can I ask a question? Um, Raphael's shaking and said no. Could you, because um, you added, and I'm guessing this is going to be every month now, under trustee reports, um, like a little description of what should be in a trustee report. And I'm just wondering if we could talk about that for a second, because I had a, con- why that went in or what you were thinking or trying to address, because it looks like you were trying to address a, like a problem. So I was just wondering about that. Well, it says the reports are, if I may, uh, yeah. um, that item or that um, little piece of boilerplate used to be on the, as long as I can remember, and somehow it got dropped off. But when I came on the board in 2003, it was it was always there, okay. just as a reminder that we wouldn't take action. And I, I don't know where it went, but uh, it's back. And well, I was just wondering about the part. Um, I get the part where it says that it should be directly related to the district business and that no action will be taken. I was wondering about the part that says they're intended to be non-controversial because maybe I'm just, I'm just wondering about that piece. That's well, the only piece I'm wondering about, what you mean by non-controversial versus controversial. Well, originally, originally this uh, came, this was, well, I can't speak to originally. It, uh, I can't, I, I was here, but I don't remember originally other than the there was an emphasis on trustees participating in events and that sort of thing but you're absolutely right it's supposed to be related to what we've done during the month that we want everybody you know other trustees to know that we participated in and originally uh, we were dividing up uh, you, you went to two musical events uh, and and uh, so we were divide, taking a look at what was going on during the month and dividing some of those up so that there was more of a pres- presence uh, of trustees at events. So, yeah, we've gotten far afield of, uh, uh, of that. I, I guess what I'm concerned about is I, I don't, I, what's controversial sometimes it might be expressing a concern and that somebody might think that's controversial I, I was wondering if what you were trying to get at is that we shouldn't be bringing political activity into the the board reports um 
because it's against ed code for you know to promote a candidate or a ballot initiative. So I was wondering if you were getting at that, like partisan politics or anything to do with candidates or ballot initiatives. But that's what I thought you were getting at. And if that was the case, I was just going to suggest that maybe we take out, um, you know, about them not being non-controversial and instead saying in line with board policy or in line with education code. Um, so that's all. Well, or take it out altogether. In particular, did you have a problem with on the reports tonight? So, because uh, I'm, I'm a little bit confused over what exactly you're driving at. I'm driving at maybe striking that about there. So, reports from trustees and all groups are intended to be non-controversial and used for reporting on conferences, meetings, and other activities related to district business. I'm suggesting that maybe we take out strike intended to be non-controversial because some of these reports on meetings or activities that are related to the district, somebody might think are controversial. So I'm suggesting that maybe we take out intended to be non-controversial and just say that they should be related directly related to the district business. You're saying what? What is is or isn't controversial is a matter of debate. It's, it's a matter of opinion. You, yeah, right. <laughs> it's a matter logical, of opinion. The logical one is, if you were a Republican, why do you want to hear what the Democrats are doing? Yeah. I, I could say reports from trustees and all groups are are intended for reporting on conferences, meetings, and other activities. Yeah, directly related to the district of the the district business, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I can double-check, but I think some of that is straight from the Brown Act. That so, was going um, to be my question, okay. since that's cited here. Maybe we just look at that and let, see what it let says. Let me look it's into straight that. straight from what? The Brown Act. Sorry, the Brown ah, Act. Ah, okay. Thank you. Certainly, yeah. Thank you, Raphael. Certainly, certainly different than what we... We certainly don't want to be controversial here. No, we can't be controversial. Can't we all just get along? And no laughing either. (laughs) Okay, I think we're done. So I would uh, remind everyone to please be here next month on December 10th, 2015, 4.30 p.m. for our December meeting. I thought you were going to say something about the time. Oh, and the time is 8.25, and we are adjourned exceptionally early tonight for no apparent reason.